welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Kamina and Yoko to my Simon. So do you imagine me dying halfway through this or? Halfway? Maybe a third. <laughs> this isn't the spoiler section yet, Jared. <laughs> I, did I say who was going to die? <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Matt, and you can decide which one I am. Up to you. Today we are doing our first non-video game mini-log, the 2007 anime classic Tengen Topa Guren Lagan, or just Guren Lagan if you're American. This is the episode that will pierce the heavens. So 2007's classic? Well, I've never pretended to be up to date on things, so it doesn't affect me too much. Fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago. We're all crumbling into dust. What was classic rock in the 80s? I don't know. I'm never up to date on music. It was the Beatles. The Beatles (laughs) were in the 60s. 15 years ago. Classic is 15 years ago. 2007 is classic now. I'm sorry. Just as an anecdote, I hate when I turn on a classic rock station and I hear Sublime on and I'm like, oh, uh, like I this is what I realized when I was listening to classic rock back on the radio in the 2000s. And I was like, boy, that sure is Foo Fighters right now. Boy, that sure was 15 years ago. Even as a kid, I didn't register pop music at the time, so I've always been comfortably out of date. It, it, it actually slightly insulates me from thinking about age just by being terminally uncool. Why should she care about this cult classic mecha series? I mean, what do you even call a cult classic at this point? This one definitely had a strong uh, presence in the anime community, and even now you'll still see people make references to it. Yeah, it definitely exploded in popularity after a few years once streaming got started. I think it still qualifies as a cult classic because it still just kind of like has a bit of a I'm not going to say edgy vibe to it, but it's like not what people say when they when you ask what's the best anime. So Perhaps a wild vibe is the right way to put it. Yeah, it has a bit of a wild vibe. It's like it's not the easy answer to what's the best anime as, say, Fullmetal Alchemist or Cowboy Bebop or what have you would be. Well, that's the advantage to uh Going so anime to the point that you start breaking the breaking the scales on it, you need to actually understand the scales to see where it's going. It feels like a cult classic to me because it's popular, yes, but it's also kind of I think you kind of need to be already kind of a weeb in order to really be into it or appreciate it in some way. That's a really good way of putting it. Like I will always view it as a cult classic, like when it came out in 2007, I was the president of an anime club, and I tried to keep up on as much anime as I could back then. I still do. Uh, but mm. this is before streaming, and I was, yes, I'm going to fully admit it, I downloaded a lot of fan subs back then. No major fan subgroup was carrying this show. It was all random anonymous translators like posting these scripts, and another group would like take that script and inject it into the video and upload that. Like I was watching these episodes raw. Because it took so long for translations to come out. And I was addicted to it. Me? I was watching it week to week with John. Me, me back then and now we still sync and watch stuff together. My memory is, though, I kind of fell off a bit when things go dark, go a little dark early. I think I missed a couple episodes. I had to be pulled back into it. I'm not entirely sure. My memory can be really sketchy and easily influenced on anything that's not the story of a fiction, which I remember with weird clarity. So... But then I do know once once we got back rolling into it, we were on it right to the end. Yeah. Back then, I had to fight tooth and nail to convince people that it was the actual best shit ever. Like Mm. nowadays, I don't have that problem because if you find people that are have already seen Cowboy Bebop, have already seen Fullmetal Alchemist, have already gone down the list of things to watch, have already seen Evangelion, it's like. Maybe you could watch this and be like, 
oh, I kind of heard, have heard of that name. I'm going to check it out. And that brings us to last year when I introduced it to Matt. <laughs> yeah, so I'm a latecomer to the show. John got me to watch it just a year ago. I think the reason I kind of slept on it is because I'm normally not a mecha anime guy. Because when I think of mecha animes, I think of Gundam stuff, which is very much military dramas, at least classically. And well, it's not really my style because it's a very serious military drama with with mechas. Just not my deal. Well, well you weren't but, familiar with the two genres then, the real robo and the super robo genres. Yeah, yeah. I, I never really... I, I also never really got into the super robo genre either, but I I end up and did end up really liking Gurren Lagan. As a kid, I was a Power Rangers fan, so believe yeah. me, I was crying for Super Robo. This is this is you taking the uh, Tokusatsu uh, spirit is fed deeply into this story. There is so much history of anime wrapped up in one little series in Gurren Lagan, like. That I am actually not that surprised that like it does get this degree of appreciation from people now, mostly because people are able to like recognize that, even if sometimes yeah. I think they don't quite articulate that. The beautiful yeah. thing is it got a bunch of homegrown memes attached to it permanently that helped. Oh, help yes. That, that <laughs> like the four guys. Yeah. Is there a name for that meme? Which one? The, the four, oh, the, the four reacts the, that's the That's the IGN reacts guys. It, like the original version of the meme was just like uh, four guys from IGN at E3 just like bored out of their minds because that E3 sucked. Next year, there was an E3 that was good. And so they took another version of that picture with them all getting all excited. So that's the history. So there is a very famous picture of that meme being applied to every single episode of Grand Lagan. The beautiful thing is they were making it while it was going. So I remember the, I remember seeing oh, yeah. it getting added to. Yeah, I remember seeing it getting added to, too. Like it was a... And every time they added on, I was just like, yeah, that's appropriate. That's the right thing to add on to that. <laughs> Although they got sulky during episode four. And, eh. I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about episode four in the spoiler section, I yes. guess. Um, so in the end, I did become a big fan of this series. Yes. And it, it's infectious, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. You just uh, can't really, really fault uh, Gurren Lagan on on anything, even if you're not a big fan of giant robots and stuff like that. I've been racking my brain for any anime in the last 15 years that has got me being like every week. I'm like, I need to watch the next episode right fucking now. Planet with Planet with is one of them. <laughs> I can get you with one. But the most recent one is Birdie Wing Girls Golf Story, <laughs> which I'm going to use as a little quick endorsement. Watch Birdie Wing Girls Golf Story. It fucking rules. <laughs> it's now you're just convinced me that the entire podcast is somehow retroactively was created for this. You you went through time and created this possibility. Maybe. Oh, John basically got the idea for this podcast specifically because he wanted to make us all sit down and talk about things that we all like. So so my, want, okay, no, my actual reason. To, no, no, my actual reason for wanting to do this podcast is to get both of you to play Legend of Heroes Trails. That's it. That is the entire purpose of this podcast. <laughs> the fact so, is we're already uh, we're already over a year into the work on this, and I haven't even picked up the game again. Just tells me how well this is going for you. It's gonna get there. Don't worry. <laughs> if you want to go through a little list of stuff that you that I imagine we both were watching week to week, Mob Psycho, Place Further in the Universe, uh, probably Place Further in the Universe. Okay, Place Further in the Universe. We actually were just like must watch it every week. I'm pretty sure Mob Psycho we binged. Well, here's the thing. For that and Promise Neverland, the good season, 
those are consistently stuff I've already read before you. So when I have the position of power, it's a little different. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. JoJo's Bizarre oh, Adventure we watched this week. Yeah, but I've read JoJo over a decade yeah. ago. So Yeah, like it's mm. it's a, something where it's just like both of us are just like, we need to watch this immediately because we have no fucking clue what's happening. I'm that not. was the feeling <laughs> of Gren Lagan, and that's the feeling of Birdie Wing Girl Scarf story. That's all I that's have to say. The- that's the feeling I'm going to have when the next the next uh, phase of Kikonia finally comes out. Holy crap. John, you realize you just said that with the cadence. That's Gurren. That's Tenkentapa. That's Gurren Lockett. My drill is the one that will pierce the heavens. Let's get back on track. <laughs> you you yes. almost were in perfect cadence for it. You realize that? All I'm going to say is Gurren Lagan cemented something in my brain and like, I will I, never recover. I will never recover from it. This is true. Like it is. You know how in the uh, Pixar movie Inside Out, there's that whole idea of core memories that oh, are, no. are foundational to you. Gren Lagan, I think specifically Gren Lagan episode 22 is a core memory to me where it was just like, oh, this is my favorite show ever. And it's never going to change. <laughs> That's gonna be like kick ass mind, mind island, I might add. <laughs> the series is really well regarded and well loved now. It gets referenced in other anime. Uh, I remember it got it was big enough to get into like just random gag series from time to time. Yeah. Hayate the Combat yeah. Butler yeah. did it for Hayate Combat Butler took one of its voice actors who was part of th- this and the other super massive hot blooded series that preceded by a decade or so, Gao Gai Gar, and combined those his characters together into like a fi- a, a thirty second gag. Yep. Um it's like, beautiful. And then the, the director, Hiroyuki Imaishi, went on to save anime with Studio Trigger. It, mm. Okay. Like, that's kind of an exaggeration. I, it's the meme that people like to say, but like... Trigger's got a high and low range that's kind of amazing to see. Let's call it that. Yeah, yeah like they have... Their highs are really good, and their lows are Darling in the Franks. <laughs> yes, they wake work with Cloverworks to make Darling in the Franks. That's probably their worst one. Well, the thing is, they were the co-worker there, and I feel kind of bad for them, but... But I really like uh, Kill a Kill. Oh, yeah. Oh, Kill a Kill is fantastic. Then they do the weird stuff I can't really define, like his Navier. I would say that, that Studio Trigger is up there with Studio Bones for me. I don't know if I give Bones that trust. Like, Bones is the highest quality possible animation you'll find for any particular thing. Unless unless you, unless you they, they spent money bringing MAPPA these days. Sometimes MAPPA doesn't do as good of work as Bones. Sometimes. Well, I mean, we know we know but, as of this recording what's coming in just a few, just a couple of months. Said that, yeah, in a couple of, well, in a couple of months we're going to have both Bones and Mappa adapting huge series that are going to completely uh, upend the anime community again. Uh, what's Bones again? Bones is doing Mob Psycho 100. Oh shit! Now again with Mob, I'm the one who's sitting in the position of knowledge here, and I am trembling with excitement over yeah. getting you to see these last few arcs of what's going to happen. Uh, what, I've what seen is, the first season of Mob Psycho 100, and I love it. The second season is even more powerful. I do think the only I, thing you slipped a bit was they made the final battle. The second season not quite as thematically resonant because it was so big they had to squish it down a little, but it was still wonderful. And especially with the Mogami arc before that, if you recall that, John. I'm going to need to rewatch Mob Psycho 100 at some point. The uh, the mental tra- the mental trap where Mob is in this, the mental trap and then the explosion out of it. We like talking about anime. Let's talk about Gregon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, John from the future here. Just. Uh, dropping in because I wanted to add in a few things. First of all, yes, we're going to be getting to Gremagon eventually. Don't worry about it. But 
I wanted to apologize to Cloverworks uh, after going through that editing because completely out of nowhere, Cloverworks released my favorite anime of the year so far with Bochi the Rock even beating out Birdie Wing. So uh, check out Bochi the Rock. I haven't checked out Mob Psycho or Chainsaw Man yet. I've heard they're good, but seriously, watch Bochi the Rock. It fucking rules. is the big appeal of shows like Ren Lagan? I think it's something anime, the best anime tend to have is, and also the, many of the best video games, especially the RPG genre, is they're sincere. They are weird and they know it and they're happy. Yeah, I but, agree. It's like, it's not a shame to be a big dumb show about robots fighting and that like, which is why it's also when it has these really honest character moments, it just is like, it lands. We'll go from a character marveling his first shot of the outside world to a girl's boobs bouncing as a tiny mole is coming out from inside them. <laughs> I'm probably going to cut that. <laughs> oh, well, what I will say about uh, Gurren Lagan for me is that so much American media is just poisoned with cynicism to such a great extent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just irony poisoned and it can never just tell a story that wears its heart on its sleeve like Gurren Lagan does. Japanese media isn't afraid to tell this kind of story about sincerity and have the characters just like basically it's a show about the characters feelings and they're not ashamed to have these feelings and run with them, even if they're cringe, quote unquote. And that's why I'm excited for the upcoming series reincarnated as a vending machine. (laughs) No, I am not saying that with irony. I'm excited. The amount of American films I can think of that I do not have that irony poisoning are late stage Wachowski works, the recent indie film hit Everything Everywhere All at Once, which another thing you absolutely must see if you haven't yet. Holy shit, how have you not seen it yet? <laughs> I mean, I am a respectively strong Marvel fan. I rarely hate their works, but I they like, are so, they keep themselves so at a certain, they, they will do that, yeah, they, weird, yeah, they still have this caution. That's the big problem with Marvel movies, is just like, they can't live in the happiness of, the yeah. moments that they're t- trying to sell. like they, they survive because they keep the weirdness, but you don't see the happiness with the weirdness, which I think kind of it hops. That's one of the things I did like about Thor, Love, and Thunder is that it didn't feel like it was doing that to me. It didn't well, feel like any That's because it's like a fucking Latini and he can't oh, yeah. do anything wrong. And it was a Kingdom Hearts movie. I'm going to Hashtag go see what we do in the shadows. Hashtag go see uh, Our Flag Means Death. Hashtag see anything with Taika Watini in it. Seriously, dude. Go see, I, go see Free Guy. He's the villain and he still brings us all to it. I've seen a lot of people kind of uh, bashing on uh, Thor Love and Thunder online. I, I think it's it like the people that are bashing on Thor Love and Thunder are people that are not able to deal with sincerity. That is my <laughs> opinion. Or the sort that like to pause frames and complain about off model shots. And they get obsessed with that. There, there's a chunk yeah. of those that get so absorbed in that. I feel like it's the only thing they focus on. Again, and yeah. I think that's unhealthy. I truly do. Again, small Thor Love and Thunder spoilers. The final battle is solved by Thor giving his toys to a bunch of kids for them to go on a little happy, uh, and shoot light out to destroy shadow monsters with. Yeah. Like it is literally him giving the power of the keyblade to a bunch of kids. Well, they're playing (laughs) the music of like his favorite art rock band. Like, yeah, I, I thought that movie was fun as hell. Yeah. I speak, speaking of that, I do think the reason we are doing Gurren Lagan as part of, as a mini log during kingdom hearts is because of that fact that the oh, yeah. it's the same sort of sincerity about one's feelings and about the power of hope and and uh and innocence and yeah. and stuff like that it, that it, 
And the final villain is visually artless. The whole idea of Grem Lagan is at its core the same kind of, despite how bad things can get, I'm still going to be positive about humanity, humanism, that is at the heart of Kingdom Hearts. And that's why it's very good to talk about it right now. Of course, humanity isn't that foolish. That's a spoiler. Hmm. We're going to talk about that one in the end zone. That's a, that's a line, dude. You sure that's I a spoiler? Know. That well, I'm like, uh, sidebar, I want that to be the episode title, of course, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, such a spoiler. We're just going to label it with that. Yeah, but, well, no, the title is just going to be Humans Aren't That Foolish. And, but the context for that line, we're going to talk about it in the spoiler section. Oh, it's absolutely. So as I said, basically, Gurren Lagann, Gurren Lagann, I, I keep switching pronunciations on it because it's like my brain doesn't want to settle on one, but either way. Gurren Lagann! The series is, in many ways, it's the direct refutation of of the of the Deconstruction series. Like, I respect the Evangelion more so now than I did when I first watched it. Was kind oh, of, I became a huge Evangelion fan after I watched when it. I was a grou- when I was a grouchy teen who couldn't really handle subtlety quite as well. Yeah, whatever. But anyways, Gurren Lagann still says, I want to be the reconstruction of your deconstruction. So let's take a deep look in there and see where that yeah. takes us. So, so yeah, that, that, that brings me to, I, I really think that Gurren Lagann is kind of, in, in many ways, the other side of the coin to a lot of the other narratives we like. Because, you know, we like deconstructions. We like genre savviness in general. And I think that's the two sides of the genre savviness coin. You have deconstructions, and then you have things like, like Gurren Lagan, which are all like kind of like reconstructions. So but, some of the other uh, narratives that that we that we like and are probably going to talk about, you know, use genre savviness in order to subvert your expectations. But Gurren yeah, Lagan yeah. instead, it it goes and says, okay, we're not going to subvert your expectations. Instead, we're going to celebrate the, uh, a lot of the the things that make this genre what it is. When it comes to genre savviness, it's like it's like a bad guy reading the evil overlord list says this stuff sounds cool. I'm going to do all of this, yep. and then cranking the and then cranking the the lever up to eleven so hard he breaks it off and it still goes. And then just making it work because by putting that much personality and force behind it. Yeah. Because sure we're cliche, but we are we are going into this with our whole heart. Yeah. We're not using. Any, so I'm trying to think about, I can't remember the Joseph. We're not doing anything half-assedly. I put my whole ass into this. Oh, I have a substance. Yeah, I believe in the three-episode rule for giving an anime a chance. That's why we're going to talk about the first three episodes before we get into our spoiler section. Like, and I think the first three episodes give you a fairly good idea of what a show is and how it works. Let us begin with the elevator pitch. Yeah. So, like, the basic idea of Gremlagon is... In a in, world where people live in underground villages. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah, please stop. A uh, sci-fi adventure that... Starts off as a story of revolution and becomes a, a story in the stars. That's what you need to know about it. Like So so I guess my elevator pitch for it is Gurren Lagan is a recursive anti-authoritarian fable. I like that. I like that a lot. It's a very much so what we'll discuss is the idea of the pattern is so important. The series has an extremely specific pattern that we'll talk about when we get into the spoiler section. I'm probably just going to regurgitate my uh, big uh, anime blog essay that I did back then. <laughs> Recursive anti-authoritarian fable is an extremely good way to describe it because it gets at the structure of the show while also and also the morality of the show. The second we start the show, we are we are visited with a character in a dull, controlled setting. 
No, we are not. The first thing we see is a in, medi- in medias rest space battle where all the lights in the sky are our enemies. That's the first. Lots of inexplicable stuff, including a huge face. It is a big space battle that we open in on. Like everything is exploding. All the everything around this one spaceship is exploding, and we don't get to see any faces. We just see the mouths of these characters. Well, we do see the character in his shades, of course. Yep. Like it's everything about the scene is precisely what you would expect a big epic end of game space battle to look like in an anime. Like everything about it, it feels epic. It and it's making this promise that this is where we're going to end up. It actually reminds me a lot when I first saw it of the of the beginning of Xenogears. It does. It, it feels a lot like that. There is that sci-fi anime trope of just like big space battle on the bridge. You f- go out and you follow the captain. In this particular case, the captain is holding a small little drill thing. His second in command, it appears, it says it seems all the lights in the sky are our enemies. Crucial line. We will come back to that later. The captain responds. That's good. I'll ring them out of existence. The fabric of space itself. <laughs> yep. Bring it out of the fabric of space itself. Grabs his little drill, marches out onto the bridge, and announces, Grenlagon, spin on! Who the hell do you think I am? <laughs> and we zoom out, and zoom out, and zoom out, a giant face, and zoom out some more. And now we are a little kid drilling underground. Every day I drill. Digging tunnels every day, that's my job. Go from that big space battle to this. It should probably put a little connection in your mind that was that cool guy, this little kid? I really like the kind of like the ambition of that they set out with the very first scene of the series that they they really kind of hammer into you that we want to tell a story of how this got to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's a it's pretty clear, I think, that they're trying to make the point that the kid that you're about to see is going to become this. That's the thing that they want you to keep in mind for the next 27 episodes of anime. And yet they, within the same episode, they make you unsure. I, I like the emphasis on the drill, which is an extremely uh, it's a recurring symbol. It's it's an arc symbol for the entire uh, series. Simon is our kid here. He is a digger working for this underground village. In comparison to the big bombastic scene, we see him drawn very simply, like literally like a, like just a little silhouette dig dugging through blank dirts with all others. He doesn't have the strong, imposing figure that we saw before. He is a kid. He's kind of drawn a bit roundly. He's kind of thin, not very strong. He wears a ragged cloak over not much else. Yep. Uh, he And he has a pair of goggles on his head because he has to wear goggles if he's digging underground. The goggles do something. <laughs> the, the, the diggers, they expand the village by, by digging. We also see that people kind of look at him askance. Like they, they, they yeah. find him creepy because he's always digging, even though it's a, a crucial job. And of course, this is more genre savviness right here, simply because, you know, the 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 anime protagonist with goggles is very much a trope. Well, for your Digimon fan. <laughs> I mean, goggles are a pretty fun accessory. I like them a lot. You know what else is a fun accessory? Cool triangular sunglasses. You know who has that? The next guy we're going to meet. And many, many characters after, because I think they created a meme. Oh, yeah. So as Simon is going through the village, shying away from the people that are laughing at him. That creepy, dirty kid. Yeah. He bumps into Kamina, a very tall, blue-haired guy, not wearing much at all. Like, he's not wearing a shirt at all. He just has his uh, 
is like Sarashi wrapping pants. Yeah, stomach wrapping pants. That's it. That's all he's wearing. But it is worth noting we actually skip Simone. The first thing we see him do is while digging before he meets Kami that he finds a treasure. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, Com- uh, today when we meet Sam- Simon, he has found a small treasure. This tiny little drill thing that. It, it's it, triangular. It's not like a thin drill bit. It literally looks like just like he uses a massive hand drill about as big as his head. And this looks like a tiny version of it. It needs to be pointed out. All drills in this show are the anime style uh, pointy drill rather than a thin drill bit. Uh, it's yeah. important to point that out. Every drill is they, like that. They're all very triangular. They widen. They have the spiral lines down them. Yep. They're conical. And, and they just, they're conical. And they, that's the word. There you go. Kamina? Uh, like, oh, you found the treasure. That's great. He's just very cheerful and protected to his little brother. Yep. Like, it's pretty clear that at the very least, while most of the village doesn't seem to treat Simon that well, Kamina wants to adopt this kid as his brother. It's like, we're brothers of the soul. Like, we get the idea that Kamina just keeps dragging Simon into his shenanigans. He has a crew of other dopey uh, delinquent kids who don't really come up again, but they're... Yeah, we, do, we don't get any of their names. When they get caught by the village elder, when they try and uh, bust through the ceiling of their village... With a mole stampede. All the friends just, like, turn on Kamina the moment the village chief says, you won't get dinner. It's that kind of, like... They're that loyal to Kamina, which is not loyal at all. But Simone doesn't turn on him, but the guy, but the the chief, who's kind of a big bully, kind of gives him gives him slight favoritism because he has an important job. So the chief's at least not completely stupid in that way. Yeah, but he's yeah. very harsh. Yeah, I mean, if you're living underground, the digger or driller or whatever is a very important job. So Shimon seems to be kind of known as the genius driller nerd, even if people think he's weird. Well, um, I, Chief says you have an important job. He's not saying he's a genius. Like, you have an important job. You shouldn't stick with this delinquent. Be a good boy is more of the tone. Yeah, like, I suppose basically, that's true. Basically, like the village elder is basically telling Simon, keep your head down. Keep doing your job. Don't try and hang out with that delinquent asshole. Yeah, the one who thinks there's some sort of surface that doesn't exist, which is very much what he are. That is a key point. We learned that the village, it, not only is it underground, Kaimina has apparently seen the surface and no one believes him. Yeah, like the, the chief literally dogmatically actually smacks him down with the blunt of his sword to keep him going out, says the service doesn't exist, and Kami is just a troublemaker. Yep. Hmm. Uh, so, and when, there's uh, earth, and when there's earthquakes coming, he's, Kamiya points out why this is so dangerous, and they just yeah. scream bad and knock down again. Yeah. So Kamina is thrown in the clink. Simon uh, goes digging again, and he finds another treasure, a big, big face. face. He goes to break uh, Kamina out of the jail just to show him the cool treasure that he found. And right as they're doing that, they get caught. They get caught. But, but right as they get caught, the ceiling starts to crumble. And through it, a giant robot falls. Like a giant cow's skull like monster. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's like a huge face with arms and legs attached to it with sharp teeth and horns mm-hmm. and, and like big eyes. And then it starts talking at them. Yeah. And the village chief, instantly scared, does not know how to deal with this. Kamina who is, I will say right now, in the kindest words I can say, is a complete fucking idiot, picks up the village chief's sword and goes up to face the giant robot on foot with a sword. He challenges it to a fight. You get this great reaction of all of, of, like, of, his, uh, of his turncoat friends going, fucking idiots. Yeah, everyone in the village thinks Kamina is the fucking dumbest shit in the world. The, the funny thing about Kamina is that he's kind of machismo incarnate, but it's not necessarily in a bad way, which is yeah. interesting. 
Well, and you can see that Simone actually clearly feels inspired by it. He admires his ability to, yeah. to speak up like that and to, and to be confident. Because Simone is very shy, yeah. very nervous. Yeah, like, get right away from this episode that Simone wants to be like Kamina. He wants to be a strong, big guy that people look up to, even if he is this tiny kid that people think is weird. Yeah, that's really good character writing, actually, just like showing the character that is who th- this kid wants to be. Luckily, he's kind of is not instantly killed by the by the next arriver to the village, uh, preventing him from being squished by a robots. Down through the roof, a woman in a bikini and hot pants carrying a giant rifle s- slides down on a rope and starts shooting at the robot. With, of course, bright red hair and a ponytail with a chopsticks head to it, just to make this. Yeah. And, oh, and also high stockings. Yeah, like she is <laughs> very much. Yeah, she is very much designed as a well, like the guys are shirtless. So surely it's OK to have a girl look like this, too. Right. Yeah. And Kavi does deeply impress as a point where she's running a gun. He's like, hey, baby, come here often. Almost literally. Yeah, um, it's like. Ridiculous. Kamina, Kamina's thinking with the wrong head most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, she, they run with her. She tries to snipe the guy from a roof at a weak point. So Kami immediately jumps out and starts screaming threats at before she can. <laughs> He's like, because you have to look your boat in the eye. Fight's not going well. Kamina's annoying uh, the girl who I believe we, so we haven't heard. She actually hasn't even introduced herself yet. It also needs to be said. Yoko is clearly the most competent person here right now. We haven't heard her name yet, but she is clearly the only person that is actually competent of the three of them. <laughs> Kami is spouting things like, you don't get in a fight between two men. It's like, I'm a woman, thanks very much. She's like, whatever. Yeah. Kamina is on his own shit, being a big doofus. Simone's kind of running along with because he's not sure what else to do, but he also has an idea. See, Simone decides, well, if they can't fight this giant robot right now, why don't they go use that weird face machine that he found? He takes them to it. Like he even points out it clearly has a cockpit open and just this. Again, this one is literally just uh, just a solid looking closed eyed face and ringed yeah. with red. Just like it's it is very literally a transformer head with uh, just like sitting in the ground. That's what it looks like to me with its head open with a seat inside. But it starts glowing in response to his drill. For whatever reason, this drill and this robot are connected because they were both found buried near each other. It's kind of likely that they were buried together. And Simon just found the drill bit first and then the robot. He immediately tries to get Kamina to drive it, and he's like, no, you found this. This is yours. Like, that is the moment that kind of, like, proves that Kamina isn't just all bluster and nonsense. It's like, he realizes, oh, this is Simon's. I cannot take this away from Simon. Simon has to learn how to pilot this. Yeah, he also has some sort of trust in Simon. Maybe we yeah. don't know all the details of it, but he he firmly believes that Simon can do something. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so the three of them hop in the robot, uh, a shutter covers up and some vaguely horny shenanigans ensue. After he, after he puts a drill in a big, in a big glowing, empty screen with a gal- that makes it have a vision of a galaxy first, of course. So, yeah, then they get into a giant robot fight. I uh, say it pops its arms and legs out, flies into the air, and it just, it just starts so fighting. I need to point out right now, this tiny robot that will end up being named Lagan is probably one of the smallest piloted mecha in anime. I've heard it described as high as it's 1.5 meters tall. It's shorter than an average person. You yeah. sit uh, and that's about as much space as there is. So I think it's kind of supposed to be a mecha representation of uh, Shimon himself. That's a good way of putting it. So, so the fight is just flat out shenanigans. Like it, 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 Simone runs away on pogo legs. Uh, it hits, it hits the head with the with its club, the giant mech, and and Yoko and Kamida are spun down and are stuck on the giant one's head for a bit. Yeah, this is also it's just it's very crazy. Yeah, 
And eventually, uh, Simon manages to get this tiny robot to manifest some drills. It can do that, apparently. Just kind of, in a nervous way, screaming communist slogans about how they're Team Gurren. Yep. And can you can can you uh, can you see that drills are a uh, are an important symbol, or we're kind of hitting you over the head with them, dropping yep. some some anvils here? Yep, it's, they're going to keep on doing that. Uh, like when it they, bursts way through, it pops drills out of its head, out of its arms. Like it just not only that this thing, this mecha, like it opens its mouth and shouts when it's full of energy. Yeah, like the mecha head has a clear personality to it that is sort of uh, reflecting Simon's personality. So I want to talk here. I love the visual here as the two of them together, Kami and Simon, are shouting as their drill goes through the mecha's club into its side. And pulls into the air. Simone goes from a nervous face to just this excited manic grin with it. So it's just a wonderful yep. image as they're so passing up through the through the ground. And we're firmly yeah. establishing that we are in super robot, not real robot here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Giant bullhead mecha is pushed up through the ceiling with this tiny robot uh, pushing it along. As they bust it's out so- of the ground, they destroy the robot and go flying up into the sky, but like to the utter pinnacle of the sky. What is the what is the right term I'm looking for here? When you say pin, I, I, uh, yeah. apex, they, they go as far, as high up as that you could possibly imagine them going, and they get this amazing 360 degree panning shot, seeing like a sunset over a over the curvature of an oddly pockmarked Earth, like the sun yeah. and moon are on opposite sides of this shot. And because the mecha is still slowly spinning on the air, like you see, the 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 the, uh, the sun and moon are actually panning light through several of the shots. Yeah, they're they're trying to really impress upon you that this is a wondrous sight that Simon himself has never seen before and never been able to really imagine or conceive of, and yes. he is just filled with wonder at it. And I'm gonna say, like, this was the moment that hooked me back in 2007. Like when I saw that, I was just like, oh. I'm going to watch every single episode of this, aren't I? <laughs> like the, it's, it was very rare for me to find a show that was that powerful out the gate. I think the other show that made me go, go, okay, what the hell is this? Why am I, I need to watch all of this was probably melancholy party. Susamia, which I can say right now, Haruhi Susamia hasn't stuck with me as strongly as Gren Lagan did. <laughs> well, you know, that's because you got sick of answering the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the first episode, which ends the cliffhanger as more faces come up over them after they land s- semi-successfully. Their victory is short-lived because we're already getting into another fight with Beastmen at the start of the second episode. They immediately run away from it. Yeah, they immediately run away from it. We learned that Yoko has been working with a group of other undergrounders who were forced to the surface after a cave-in. Tamiya's kind of disappointed she's not from the surface originally, which is a little harsh. This is kind of like where we start seeing a bit more of the edges of our characters, where we're like, okay, so... Tamina's can be a bit of a dick here. Sungmyon had that great moment, but he's still, like, at his core right now, still a bit of a coward, so he can't really use the mech right now. And Yoko isn't having any of their shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> basically to Yoko, these two are basically backwater bumpkins who don't have any idea what they're really doing. Oh, yeah. They're complete novices in this whole fighting. Be- oh, so we also learn that the mecha are being are piloted by what are called beastmen. Generally anthropomorphic creatures, like a uh, human shape with obvious animal traits in general. Yeah, that's basically it. Like just any kind of vaguely animal-esque thing can be a beast man. They seem to have like various levels. Like there's some who are like 
furries, and then there's some who look more human but have some animalish features to them. Yeah, yeah. And it's clear that they they're suppressing humanity and basically not letting them be on the surface at all. Yeah, it seems like a territory dispute, you know, like yeah. like like it seems like, oh, the surface is good. It's t- it's too good for humans. It's ours. Yeah. Like for whatever reason, the beastmen are trying to get the humans to not be on the surface. Like, and it's clear they look down on them. They see them as primitive. Like we have the giant mechas. You're just a bunch of of dirty apes and it, scratching out in holes. Yep. Um, we meet a few other resistance members that uh, Yoko was working with. Of particular note are Liron and Dayaka. Dayaka is sort of like the head of the village, and Liron is the smartest person in it. Yep. And they add vague camp stereotype for some reason. Yep. You know, I say that, but it's actually very, I find it pretty likable myself, though, even though I say that. Yeah, I know some people think Liron is problematic. I personally thought he was fine. It's kind of like the whole effect with the new comma pirates in One Piece. He's closer to the new comma pirates than he is to Kamabaka Kingdom. <laughs> I mean, I would argue the role with him is that he clearly... He trolls people and he enjoys that. He presents his his fairly camp. And while he does mess with uh, Simone and Kami a bit, it really just seems to be because he enjoys the reactions or anything. And they never even suggest that's wrong. It's just that he finds it confusing. (laughs) It's also worth noting he is the keeper of the brain cell. He is the smartest character in this show by a nautical mile. (laughs) Yoko tried, but she's actually a bit too hot-blooded and gun-happy to quite get there. So we had to get get our happy makeup-wearing mechanic here. Yoko has cunning. Whereas kind of Liron is is depicted as the technical character. He's the engineer. He's a literal genius. <laughs> like mm. he figures out technology that no one else does. It's really cool. But we'll get to that in a bit. Right now, though, Kamina and Simon get roped into the fight, though Simon can't really bring himself to activate the mecha right away because <laughs> uh, he's scared. He's not sure how. The beastmen that attacked them the day before come back. And this time a big old red mecha is with them. And Kamina gets the bright idea that he can pilot one of those mecha on his own, just with his own fighting spirit, just like Simon does. And he decides to steal that big red mecha. That one's mine. <laughs> yep. yep. He just he gets takes one look at it. It's like, that's mine. I'm taking that. And the other was just like, that one's really big. They're shocked by it. So he's like, yeah, that one's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not only that, like the th- important thing about this plan of Kamina's, all of the other resistance members are shocked by this plan and had never really considered it almost. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and they're also shocked by his rather insane, apparently unfounded um, enthusiasm. And he'll just charge into absolutely crazy moments. Kamina runs up, kicks the pilot out uh, at sword point. After, of course, failing to use a gun because he had no idea what it was, though he bullshit. Oh, yeah. Uh, doesn't uh, Simon does get his nerve up beforehand, right? Oh, no, because Kami he takes Kami at two there, and he actually helps the power right. back. He's doing yeah, better, yeah. but still three on one. Simone's still a little yeah. nervous. Doesn't seem to have the same explosive power, even though he's got it running. Kami can't control this mecha right away. In fact, it just seems to reject it completely. Nothing's happening. The, yeah, it's just got complete like error messages. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever the fighting spirit that Kami thinks he has, it's not working right now. It's worth noting Kami has been acting a little bit harsher this episode of the last one. Like the other characters note, they they find a random like remain human remains, a skeleton, they bury it because it's like that's just what happens and people deserve yeah. rest. And he's actually scornful, he's saying, What does it matter if someone's dead? Yeah. He's like, That's not gonna be me, so it doesn't matter. Right. It's kind of a toxic contrast to his actually pretty yeah. wholesome behavior in the first episode. 
in the Mecca where they have to, they, they basically have a true clearly think it's that that was lost. So let's destroy it. So they, they smash it into a mountainside in which he comes across another, like basically he literally comes face to face with another skeleton that was in the rock and ground there. Yeah. We see fully the panic in his face as he sees it and realizes, oh shit, that could be me. Like he sees himself. Like you literally see his skeleton period inside him, like in a vision. He's like, so that's, so that's what people are is almost was, is almost his reaction. Yeah, and but because of that, he's able to muster up the true fighting spirit that the Mecha does like, and it's just to take control. And so they win by throwing Simon like a fastball because this it's that kind of a show. Because he is so bad at piloting his big Mecha, he's wrecked its spindly arms and legs in one shot. Like he does, a, he does a flying missile drop kick and, and both its legs snap yeah. off. Yeah, they th- like, they throw they throw the 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 little Mecha Shimon is piling like, and Shimon manages to make the entire thing into a drill, right? Yeah. It pops. It pops. It pops a body drill out from its legs, as as wide as it is, and just shoots right through the guy. So it should be said, like uh, Kamina decided to name the little robot Lagan, which literally means uh, spiral rock or drill after Simon's own drills. Uh, when he takes this giant mecha, he decides he's going to name it Guren, which is essentially crimson. And what he's been calling his little his like like his uh, little gang. He called Team Guren from the start. The Guren done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, he's going to name his mech Garen. That's just what he's going to name it. It is a bright red, even more than Logan is. Like, it's oh, yeah. primary color is red. Logan's more of a mixture of red and chrome. Yep. After the fight, Kamina finds the skeleton that he found in the rocks and gets ready to bury it again. And then he notices. We've had seen flashbacks of him, like, like memories of him on the surface with his father, like noting, like, say, a, like a bracelet other key items, and he sees that on the skeleton. All the items that were on his father's person are on the skeleton. And he realizes, oh, shit, my dad kicked the bucket out here before getting to do anything. And the episode ends with him shocked. A lot of Kamina's, you know, machismo and masculinity comes from, you know, I, I'm emulating my dad, who's the bravest person who left the village. And he's doing something important and cool out there while we're stuck down here. Kamina has new motivation now other than finding his father. But this is still just like a real shock to him. At the start of the next episode, he kind of has this kind of weird, unsure energy to him. Like, he's not exactly mm-hmm. upset as much as he seems slightly pensive. So the third episode is the first time we're going to really increase the scale of what kind of show this is. And the first time we see Grape Hippos. Yes, Grape Hippos. <laughs> I don't know why I love Grape Hippos so much. Like, literally a giant bushel of grapes with a stem in the back and a hippo head sticking out with feet. It's just, it seems to be a food animal they hunt. And a really silly looking face. It is one of the best weird animal designs I've ever seen in an anime. Yeah, this anime it has no gold pigs, it has tanuki birds, it has uh, bunny gators, but this is just, that is just great. Weird Little Creatures is a very good genre of anime thing. Kamina, Simone, and Yoko are out hunting and gathering water uh, because you need to keep your resistance faction going however you can. You know, it's been a bit weeks they had grape hippo and everyone's hankering for some Kamina goes out to retrieve some of the food that he shot he literally shot one of those uh, raccoon birds with a like basically his joke is you want to try shooting with arrows out of the gun and he did hit something but there's another arrow in it a small theme does start here in this episode where Simone who clearly is crushing on Yoko kind of seems uncomfortable to see her and Kamina bond so yeah it's the, this is the start of Kamina and Yoko really bonding and Simone getting a bit jealous about it because you know he's about he's about two three years younger, half like half her height, and definitely is the first impressive girl he's met. So yeah. it was nice yeah. to him. 
And yeah. also Shimon is kind of a nerd, so he kind of has that insecurity about him. And mm-hmm. although he loves Kamina, he's kind of like like kind of in that thing where it's like, oh, Kamina. Kamina is so cool. Yeah. I'm not. I will say as his art goes, he never like turns on either of them. He very much he, he internalizes it as self, self-destructively. Yes. And so that will become an issue later, but that's not going to be in this episode. Just kind of want to mention that is like they're already forming character arcs. Yeah, the character dynamic is starting to be elaborated on and we're starting to see a bit of the conflict that is being set up in it. So, so Kamina hunting gets attacked from behind by the most humanoid beast man we've seen yet. Yep. Uh, his name is Viral. In the Japanese, he's voiced by Nobuyuki Hiyama, I believe his name is. Yes. Who is a veteran of hot blood. <laughs> Most video gamers will probably recognize him as the voice of Adult Link in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Oh, cool. And seasoned anime fans will recognize him as every single hot-blooded voice you've ever heard. (laughs) Shishio. Uh, I always have a hard time remembering specific roles of him, but... Like, uh, whenever he shows up, it's usually in a hot-blooded role. He's a really cool guy, and he does really... Except for the time he showed up as Mr. Three. I still don't know what happened there. Wait, he was Mr. Three? Yep. Shit. Huh. <laughs> he has a smug tone he can use, so every so often he comes out a little bit weird, but yeah. Okay. Kamina and Viral end up getting into a fight on ground. After Kamina shows the ability to draw his sword for much longer than it should be possible as it gets endlessly long coming out of its coming out of its, I, its, its sheath. It, it's an amazing shot just because it just like shows the power of animation to show something utterly impossible, such as like it's panning behind him. Viral's whole like his his where it wields large what looks like meat cleaver weapons. Yeah, and he's saying the time he's kind of he's 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 got the, he's holding his sheath and pulling the sword out front, but the sword keeps inexplicably getting longer than it should be and thinner as it goes like, for like ten seconds or longer. It all it's almost like space is warping because they're so cool. <laughs> all right, it was he? I always forget that one. He can do hot and cold blood, huh? Uh, after that fight kind of comes to a standstill, Viral retreats to go grab his own mecha. Can I say there's there's, there's just such great anime shot. Like, Kamiya goes to a huge sweep, cuts the tall grass in a long arc, which then the grass freezes for a moment and then just kind of spins out. Yeah. It's just like, it's this wonderful it's, samurai artistry of this fight throughout. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really great. Kamiya gets a drop on Viral by using an arrow he had in his, like, in his pants to get a slash on, which we, when when – and then when Simone jumps up in, in Lagan, Viral naturally retreats to his back end. Things don't go well at that point. So, it yeah. seems like Viral is probably stronger than Kamino, uh, but Kamina has enough uh, cunning to get a few hits on him. But then yeah, when it becomes right. two against one, Viral retreats. Right. Kamina is retreating in the sword fight, but he hits him with a surprise shot. And Viral's impressed. Like, he literally describes himself as a commander of the Beastman army. Viral's mecha is the first one we see that has accoutrements beyond just looking like a face. First, it's very tall. Like it's humanoid. It's a almost humanoid, humanoid. shape, like but, but even more so. It's not like a big frog head with legs sticking out. It's almost human proportion. Its body still its face, but it has a helmet with a big ring on it. One thing we should probably mention here, by the way, is that the beastmen call their mechas gunmen. Right, and well, that is that is also a pun on what they are because faces. gunmen in Japanese means face. We're, fight, we're, we're fighting in our faces. So, yeah. I mean, Vero was actually says he's here because he heard humans were, were doing something they didn't like. They were stealing got gunmen for use. And, like, that's something to put down. Oh, by the way, Gurren has giant sunglasses now. They made a yeah. form of this up. Yeah, they upgraded. Yep. So they took the mecha that uh, Kamina stole and they turned these swords that it had into sunglasses. 
and put it on the robot. It rules. And, it's such and, a good design. Arms with thick, heavy set limbs, like with big shoulder guards with his team Gurren, yeah. flaming skull, uh, flaming, flaming sunglasses logo. It just kind of makes yeah. it looks more like a big walking tank now than just a weird yeah. thin thing like before. So now Viral kind of kicks the shit with both of them. Yeah, Viral's mech Enki is way more powerful than either Garen or Lagan are capable of handling. He knocks Garen to the ground, dodges Lagan's drill jump casually and turns around and just kicks him out of the air and then, and then sweeps the leg on, on Garen when he comes after him. Viral is really showing like the difference in class here. Like everything they fought before were just kind of like low-level raiders and mercenaries uh, in the in the Beastmen organization. Whereas this guy is more, he's a professional, he's a leader. Yeah, he's he's pretty bombastic in kind of a cold, sinister way, but he shouts, he screams, but he's purely in control here, sneering yeah. and just confidence. He launches them in the mountain uh, and shoots a giant laser from his ring on his helmet that destroys most of the mountain. But uh, Simon manages to escape by drilling uh, them under the ground. And we've had implications that Diamond only come out during day. I don't know if they say they're specifically solar powered, but because the sun's setting, Vero leaves, this will wrap it up later. That's the thing we've learned in the second episode is that the gunmen only come out during the day. At night, they can't come out. So apparently, the humans have figured out how, how to, uh, like, Lagan doesn't need that because it runs on something else. And I think they, they fit Gurren with batteries. Yeah, something like that. I think, and. Leon does. Kamina decides that they need to figure out some other way to fight. In fact, he's actually a little disappointed with Simo. He said we shouldn't have run. Criticizes Simo's cowardice over this. Basically, they know Viral's coming back tomorrow. We need to be ready to fight. You say criticize, but actually he's saying you don't need to be afraid because you you can go True. through this. You don't have like, that's to. Viral's not away. That's what it actually is. But it, it feels to me later. A yeah. later, Yoko said, I should pilot the mech. I don't think Simone could do that. And he's like, you don't know Simone. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's still clear at this point that Kamina knows something about Simon that Simon doesn't know about Simon. <laughs> I have faith in him because I have faith in myself. So he should have faith in himself because I have faith in him. I believe it's that's what that's something we need to talk about right now, actually, because we miss it in the first episode. That's an infamous meme line at this point. I think that Kamina's catchphrase is one of the most important inversions of any kind of idea about belief in anime that I've ever seen. What he states is, don't believe in yourself, believe in me. Believe in the me that believes in you. It's a little silly something. He's saying, it's like, you trust me, right? So I trust you. So trust me that I trust you. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's, I think it is a far better statement of how faith should work than anything else I've ever heard. Like, it's a really good one, even though it's a meme. Like, I, I, like a lot of things that that happen like this, like with fandom oh. and Internet memes and stuff like that, I feel like it 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 infects something that's really cool with cynicism. And I don't like it when it happens. Like and we'll be able to talk a bit about it more when we, after this. But it, it's just no, worth noting, like communist catchphrase gets to the core of who he is and how he views Simon. In fact, the next day, the fight's going badly. Vero has ridiculous number of weapons. As mech, he has like anti-personnel, uh, short-range, rapid-firing guns. He has He's a huge bristling with weapons. Shots. He has like a, he has a shoulder-mounted rocket, and Simone can't make Logan move. He's failing to. Yeah. So, so Yoko actually confronts him with what Kamina said. Yeah, and with with those words, that is enough to get Simone. Uh, back on his feet, ready to go. 
I will. And like the meter just once again spins up that, that spiral meter that seems to represent the power again, just spins up and glows. Everything glows green. Yeah. Is this where, where the first time where the meter uh, kind of expands? No, no, this is not the first. It still just goes all the way to peak here, basically, as I recall. Okay. So Simone comes in, he charges, he actually, he hits Viral right in the helmet and cracks it. Yep. Like the ring, he cracks the edge of the ring. And then Kamina gets the best slash worst fucking idea ever. Because he, he's, he's holding a guy who's still got, he's basically in its drill bottom mode, so it's like a head with a drill neck sticking out. Yep. It's like, he's been calling Viral's mecha two-faced because the helmet looks like a second head to him. Mm-hmm. It's like, so, Simone, we're going to do all the technique. We're going to do that. That? Very specifically, we're going to do that. What do you mean? We're going to combine. And then everyone says they're going to combine in a shocked way, except for Yoko, who's kind of turned on by it. Yeah, and Lero isn't, so. <laughs> yeah, Lero's just like, what bullshit is this? <laughs> I like, I like, so while Lero is, he's not camp only. He's actually a little bit more sensible, like, wait, this is that. And the funny thing is, he smashes Lagan through the top of his of his armor, so it's resting there, cockeyed. He has the turn because it's pointing the wrong way. Yeah, and now he's like, ha, now I have two faces too. And the fucked up thing is, it works. Oh, yes. And Vero, I was like, Vero's like, oh, you're completely stupid. And then, like, yeah, for whatever reason... Like, he's about to blast him away with his laser, and then Lagan activates. Yeah, Lagan activates. A bunch of green energy st- uh, starts bursting out from it. I think this is the first time we see the meter go to its second level, like where it goes yes. from the uh, spin up, then it spins out with the uh, white with a white bar energy. So the meter... Yeah, the, the meter expands here. Yes. And then and something rather insane happens. Yes, they, the two mecha actually combine, as if they were meant to. Lagan, like... like Don sort of straightens up. Uh, Gurren, like it, it, it was damaged. It's damaged going down. Its limbs literally explode larger human-sized limbs rather than yeah. the big tanky size there. And like, and, and Lagan's like, the armor forms like like neck muscles around it. Yeah. Now they're the same height as, as Viral. Yeah, it is a fully formed humanoid mecha with two faces, uh, sunglasses on its chest like you do. It completely proceeds to mop the floor with Viral. They cross counter, at which point he then grabs its head's helmet, breaks its assembly, and puts and then wears its helmet with a broken ring, making like a asymmetric samurai helm instead. As we all now know, a cross counter increases the power of the attack by two, by double, right? We can't make that reference yet. <laughs> not, only is it, not only is it a samurai helmet, it is a specific samurai helmet reference. It is Date Masamune. And interestingly, when he puts the helmet on, it was white. Something burst through it, like, like the gem that was in Lagan's head seems to like slot into it, and the helmet changes colors to match it. So, like it literally yeah. just it just fits on Lagan's head perfectly. Yeah, this form it is way more powerful. It, the uh, Grun body can now use drills as well, right? I think it, it pulls a pair of drills, like it's holding, yeah. like it's holding like a, a punching dagger. Yeah, like it, and. It, it, Drill, Lagan's drill at all times is visible just behind Kamita's head. If he leans back, yes. he's going to crack his skull. It's- yep. And uh, I, I really love this because this is specifically the most anime bullshit ever. Oh, yes. Well, it's so still good. Next they, up, they upgrade it. Which, yeah, like, be, so, yeah, we've now established our full setup. Even when, we, even when he pulls his swords, he is completely overwhelmed and he retreats. Yeah. This particular form is 
essentially the the title drop. Like they declare it to be Garen Lagan as they form it. Garen plus Lagan equals Garen Lagan. <laughs> yep. That is the setup for Garen Lagan. If at the end of those three episodes you don't think this is the most hype shit in existence, I don't know who you are. <laughs> so we have we have stakes, we have insane anime bullshit, we have villains appearing and suggestion that things are even higher scale than we thought. And good character dynamics too. Like We've learned a lot about uh, Simone Kamina and uh, Yoko in just three episodes. And for me, I was just like, oh, yeah, I've got to watch this show as much as I can. I want this to go on forever. I just think it's even great. Viral, I guess, desperation move is like his the face opens. as like this whole barrage of cannons and missiles fire out. And Kamina's saying none of that crap. He just still gets blasted full on. It does no damage. Oh. Yes. So so one of the things that I think is interesting about this is that it, it, it makes the kind of uh, idea that Lagan is almost like a specialized support oh, yeah. mecha. Yeah, like we have a very clear mystery now of what the fuck is Lagan and how does it's it saw a lot of crazy visuals, but it was showing Lagan like almost fusing into like we saw like an energy network come out from it into Gur and other things like that. So something is strange. Yeah. Whatever the case is, Simon's mech Lagan is special in a way that Kamina's mech is not. His is just a cool mid-tier one that he picked up and customized. Yep. So that's the first three episodes. And now we're going to go into the spoiler section. Yeah, uh, we're not going to go episode by episode anymore. We're going to go arc by arc. That would be, that would be kind of its own podcast in its own way, I yep. think. Yeah. yeah. And so that that being said, if you have not watched Gren Lagan, pause this podcast, go watch Gren Lagan, come back after the spoiler section. I mean, hey, if you see, if you watch it, go watch it again. Have a good time. Come back. Oh, yeah. Please watch it again. Watch it as many times as you want. It's on, I think, Crunchyroll right now. Crunchy and Netflix. I think both. Yeah. Uh, the dub is also good. The dub is quite good. <laughs> so check it out if you haven't checked it out before. I would recommend it. I ended up being a fan of it immediately. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. So... Now that we've gone, gone through the spoiler alarm, it's time to talk about everything that comes after the first three episodes of Grand Lagan, <laughs> which... And boy, that's a lot. Yeah, um, we it's not going to be an episode-by-episode episode analysis, as we said earlier. It's going to more just be like an arc-by-arc arc analysis uh, and sort of like getting into where the story goes, what turns it makes, and all that. The series become progressively less episodic as it goes anyways. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it I never fully is, but the early episodes have a Monster Week formula. Then it turns to a Crisis of the Week, and then it starts going almost completely serialized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first arc of the story is the Kamina arc. So, I, little sidebar I'm going to, I declare each arc based on the name of the character whose quotes are being used for the episode titles. The first arc is Kamina arc because every single episode has a Kamina quote from that episode in it. And let's be honest, the. This is the arc that is about Kamina and I guess Simone's relationship to Kamina. Yeah, that, exactly. Like it is the way I view it is every arc, the character that aside from the last arc, we'll get to that. Uh, the character who is doing the episode title quotes is a character who is roughly in a mentor role for Simone. I say that in like the very much on the mentor archetype. I, I understand that vision, but it definitely is a very loose version of it. But still, I do see how it works. It's someone who's teaching Simon something, if you want to call yeah. it that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what Simon needs to learn from Kamina is Kamina's bravery. His confidence. Yeah. 
the confidence, the ability to be there on the front line and be the person who inspires everyone to follow him. Then, as we talked about, Kami's big quote is exactly what he wants Simone to learn: believe in right. me, it believes in you. If you can't believe exactly. in you, right? Yeah. One of the things that I really like about Kamina is that I really liked how. Usually when you have a character that is defined by his machismo in some way, he's really, really toxic. But I really like Kamina in the fact that I I guess he still has a few flaws, but at the same time, they made a character who is defined by his machismo and his sometimes ill-advised bravery without making him toxic. In fact, he's very much a good role model to Shimon and they they try to emphasize that and he's actually aware of that too. It comes a little later, like a little after his arc, we really see the source of his confidence isn't in himself and that's why. Part of the phrase believe in the me that believes in you is because Kamina is inspired by Simone's grit and determination. Should we talk about like the, the sequence at least a yeah, little bit? We'll talk about like, yeah we can talk about that a little bit because it's yeah. gonna it it Matters for how this arc concludes. Yeah, like Yoko is told a story by Kamida, like late in his arc that we hear about a little bit later. Like, and we had heard Simone tell the same story later. Someone else, it's about when the well, two of them were trapped in the cave. I think we can probably touch on that a little bit later. First, let's like, okay. I I just want to like quickly speed run through some of the other key points of the arc, uh, the new characters that it introduced that will matter a bit later in our discussion. Yeah, and I, I will say we repeatedly see with other characters, which is, but they are pretty poisoned. Like we meet, yeah. we meet the important character, Kitan and his siblings, his sisters. Yeah. And, and while he's not a bad person. He's much dumber, much more aggressive and much more easily led by, by that pride. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he, uh, Keaton is very much the more toxic male guy. He gets his own development later on in the series, but to start with, he's just kind of like, a, he's presented as sort of a rival to Kamina, is probably the best yeah. way of putting it. And his sisters kind of have to rein him in a, a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's extremely aggressive. He's short-tempered. He's easily led. But he's not like he's a bad person. He's just he's just this kind of rampaging bull of a person. It, it kind yeah. of remi- makes me think of, of the relationship between Shimon and Kamina. Because, you know, Kamina is grounded by Shimon in many ways. Yeah, you know, because. Yeah. Because I think a lot of Kamina's motivation is that he he really does see Shimon as kind of a younger brother, not by blood, but by yeah. by circumstance. I, I think a lot of it is that he wants to do right by him. He wants to lead him to a better future outside of this little village. Or then Shimon, in turn, is inspired by Kamina and wanting to be like him and, you know, like support his older brother's, uh, you know, uh adventures in any way that he can. Kitan ends up feeling overshadowed and jealous of Kamina. He focuses on him first. So, like, as as soon as Kamina shows up, uh, all three of his sisters just sort of, like, flock to hang out with Kamina because, oh my gosh, this guy is the coolest guy in the entire wasteland. Like, uh, Simon's immediately jealous because Simon is, is like, still a a kid at this point and Mm. very conscious of girls. Um... Keaton is extremely jealous because, holy shit, th- those are my sisters. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Kamina is just, like, kind of living with the praise, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, he has this natural charisma, and, mm-hmm. you know, if there's if there's one thing that's slightly toxic about Kamina, it's that he, he likes the praise. He never lets it completely go to his head and become an asshole about it. It's just so, that he kind of recognizes that he he kind of is cool and people like him. 
Now, the episode where he does kind of become a bit of an asshole about it is uh, episode five, where we also get to meet Roshu and a small thematic thrust that'll be more important later on gets introduced. We find another underground village and this village is so hard up on resources that they have to keep their population below 50. And so if the person is born that puts the population over that, they have to exile someone. And they do. And they decide to go full the lottery on this, basically. Yeah. Uh, and this pisses Kamina off to no end. But like, the village, you know, it's in bad shape. It's it's the other yeah. village we saw was very lit up. This one's small. It has almost no lights. This, this seems like the, everything's crumbling. Yeah. And, it, it, and the guy in charge is basically acting as a priest. Yeah. What we learn from all this is... Kamina has a very hard time accepting other people's values. Like, he, the whole point of it is he doesn't understand how this village can be how it is. He thinks that the village should go take that big face mech that is sitting in their waterfall and pilot it. And they've never thought to do that. They just, like, assume it's the god of their village. Yeah, it's a holy icon. It would be sacrilege. Yeah. Kamina's words end up just tickling in the back of young Raushu's mind. And Raushu decides, well, I'm going to go see if he's right. And just like that little bit of questioning sort of caused the whole facade of this village to fall apart. But these people can't live on the surface. They will not be able to protect themselves from the beastmen. They kind of have to stay below. Our team ends up getting Roshu and two kids, uh, Dari and Gimi, uh, as a as sort of tag-alongs just because... The kids are being removed and the priests have made it deliberately, but it's because... Unfortunately, yeah. the kids were contributing the least. He took he takes no pride in it, and he actually yeah. says mm-hmm. clearly he knows that he's rigging the draw, and even that happened to Rashu's mother, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was going to say that that Darian Gimi are the people who were selected to be sacrificed, and we find out that the priest rigged the the drawing of straws to make them lose. Yeah, just like he did yes. with uh, Rashu's mom. <laughs> and he fully and painfully knows what he's doing, but he just feels that's the only way he keeps everyone surviving. Right, mm-hmm. and. There's a few things we'll learn about this priest way later on in the series, but that's not for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the point is, like, at this point, uh, communist exploits are getting really well known. Yeah. And so he... And, and in fact, the next episode flyout shows that, as I recall. Yeah, the next episode concludes with uh, basically Keaton having rallied a bunch of people in the wasteland to all basically take uh, a page from Kamina's book, and they've all stolen Mecca from the Beastmen, and they have now formed... Team Digeren. Well, that's what Kami declares it. But they, they yes. arrive at the lab. They arrive just in time. Um, is, is it the Digonzin that's a, that they have to save them from? Or? No, the, Di- the Digonzin shows up uh, in the next episode, as I recall. It's the censored hot spring episode. Yeah, the hot spring turns into a mecha. Uh, that's all. Because of course, essentially, they have to. They 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 have raised an army of human mecha pilots to yeah. challenge the supremacy of the beast men in this region. They made themselves known, and because once you get known, that's when the hammer comes down. We find out that the larger empire has found out about this, and they have sent a large army of gunmen helmed by a giant land battleship-sized mecha called the Dai Gunzan. Just this giant walking thing with a huge ship's uh, prow sticking out of its front for like the size of, a, of, a, of an aircraft carrier. And it's an impressively Freudian image. Yep. It looks like a sword and nothing else. <laughs> yep. So that, that is the introduction of the bigger order of magnitude mecha. The, the die the mecha. And, and it's written by Thimilf. I'm not yep. sure I'm saying his name right. Uh, Timolith. Timolith. 
which is a portmanteau of Thymine and Sylph. So, so the, these are the four the four great generals or whatever name they go this time. All four of them are a mixture of a DNA base and a traditional elemental spirit. Yes. Uh, so, so, Sylph, the element of uh, wind. wind. Wind, that's right. Do we find out about the name of the ruler of the Beastmen at this point, or does that come later? I think that it's, comes a little later. I, okay. I don't know when it's first said. The name is Lord Genome, and they say it pretty regularly. It's like, and it's a little unclear if his full name's that or if he's a lord, his name is Genome. In any case, I think they introduce it with Nia. We basically get a two episode battle between Team Digeren and Timolif's forces. Important to this is Simon ends up being the one who saves the day in their first big encounter with Daigunzon by. Being the cool-minded warrior that Kamina cannot be. Did he dig a pit trap? He takes control of Grenlagon to basically make a giant pit trap and disable the Daigunzon for a while. Because between its size, its weaponry, and the fact it just throws gunmen at them, it's not going well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it basically, rather than launching ships, it just flings them. That's how I even see them crash in with bullets. And so this is like sort of the first hint we're going to get of what Simon is going to be. A pilot that will utilize his abilities as a digger to do crazy awesome things. He's also more of a strategist. Yeah, he's got a way better head on his shoulders than Kamina does. And Kamina kind of knows this, but he also is very stubborn. Kamina knows it wholeheartedly. He puts all his energy practically to convince Simone to do work, to do what he can. But at the same time, like in the in this fight, he is still like very stubborn about like, no, I think I have the right idea here. And it takes uh, Simon and also I think Yoko uh, basically saying, no, let Simon take control this time. Well, yeah, a lot of it is that Kamina has this idea. This is one of the toxic elements that he has, I guess, is that, you know, if you're a man, you fight head on and that that's how it works. Yeah. Unfortunately, in between this fight and the next one, the relationship between Simon, Kamina and Yoko hits its boiling point as Yoko confesses to Kamina. And she just kisses him, and unfortunately, Simone sees it, and he kind of really spirals into self-loathing. He knows that it's not his business, but it still causes great emotional damage to him because he has been nursing his this crush, and that insecurity and jealousy towards Kamina has been festering underneath his skin this entire time, and it finally comes to a boiling point. And he can't even point it at Kamina. He can only point it internally. Right. It's yeah. like he still can't help but accept that. And unfortunately, this is a really crucial point because they're taking a very risky plan, relying right. almost entirely on Lagan. What their plan is, is to separate uh, Lagan from Garand and use it to combine with the Daigunzon and take control of it. Because they figured out that it clearly has that ability. But unfortunately, this will require Simone's uh, emotions to be completely in check. It's also worth remembering that Viral has just has gone for a mohawk rather than his uh, oh, yeah. second head now. He just has his yeah. big blade sticking out of the MQ. Yep. <laughs> That's a thing that happened to in the big battle. All of Simone's emotions sort of come to the head and he cannot take control of Daigunzon completely. Yeah, it's literally showing like the energy, just this energy like uh, flow seems to be completely disrupted. Yeah, it, it, he can't get it above a certain level, essentially. Because he can't do that, he can't take control and they can't win. So Kamina takes a moment to get out of his mecha and go punch Simon in the face he, he basically he, he recognizes Simone seems completely off. He runs. He he flings himself into the main mecca. He opens the mecca halfway across the deck, like rolls four times across the front of Daigunzen, and then yeah. lands on Logan and tells him to open it and clench his teeth. Clench your teeth. 
<laughs> like that. It's yep. with a powerful punch to Simon's face. He just sort of fools all of the emotions Simon has. He basically says, like, have you snapped out of it? Because if you're not, I'm always here to belt you one to help you focus. Simon in that moment realizes, OK, he's still my bro. I, I can do this. You see the controls are taking, but Kami gets back his mech. He takes a breath and then a huge blast comes out of the deck of the ship and smashes through him. Yes. Mm. Like, like we literally see it go through the ship. We see it. We actually see it striking him inside the cockpit. And that's yeah. the middle of coming out in his in his ace custom mech. <laughs> the effect of this is just Simone's emotions completely go haywire. Between him and, and Enkidu, they, they wreck him. They, they slice off his leg and they put an, and they put a glaive right through the middle of it. Yeah. And then Simone goes out of control. Yeah. Fortunately, Kaiman is not fully dead. He's able to give Simon one more punch to just say, hey, get over it. By throwing the broken fist of his mech right into his head, into its head. Yep. The two do one final combination. Kamina is speeching throughout all of this. With this, Simon is able to take control of the Daigun's on and then go and recombine with with Garen to... Completely repairing it, though. Like, yeah. it's, like it's, it's yeah. limbsy form, the scar in its side forms. Whatever the ability of Lagan is, it's capable of completely repairing matter as well. It is. Mm-hmm. It's, it creates stuff from nothing. They call it the super combination, and together they just clean house. Yeah, they yeah. route the entire rest of the Beastman forces. Like, and, and, like, they shoot ten drills out of its body into mechs all at once. Yep. And then takes yep. on Thil Milf and his uh, Biako because those yep. because why be subtle about these? Yep. Mm. We're gonna go four gods on this. They they re- they shove him back. It kind of he's still speaking to Simone. He's like, don't believe in that in the you I believe in. Yeah, believe well, in your it, believe in yourself. Right. And so we introduce the Grenlagon's signature attack with this moment, in which, in which you throw a pair of sun, giant robot sunglasses. They split into two. Not just split into two. It copies itself to become two boomerangs. Yeah. yeah, two boomerangs that cut through the limbs. The guy holding in place in the air. And then... Giga Doril Breaker! <laughs> yeah, they, 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 all the drills pop out of their body. They combine into one massive mecha-sized drill and their hand. And they just, with the whole body shooting a jet flame, go right through the opponents. Yep. Mm. And so that takes out Timbalif. Viral is the only one of the Beastmen that gets away from this. But unfortunately, I'm going to bid farewell with a goodbye buddy. Later, buddy. Yep. So it's kind of infamous for killing off this main character here. It literally cuts from the end of the explosion of fight to just him fading away in the sheet of no Joe image. It's drawing from years of anime pulling this trick. Back in the day, so many people were like so upset about this. This is like the first big point where Grand Lagan is just like proving itself to be a little bit more than what the fans were expecting it to be. I don't pretend to have guessed it, but I definitely smelled something was off in the first arc. It was definitely surprising to me that they that they killed off Kamina. Like, I, I did not expect it to happen. Like, a lot of shows are afraid to do something like that. Except in one particular case, this kind of mecha anime that it is emulating. I don't know if you've ever watched Martian Successor and Nadesco, but like that sort of like is the trope codifier for me of this because it, it is in-universe anime. Uh, what is it, Geki Gengar? I think so, yeah. Uh, in his in-universe anime, Geki Gengar, like in the third episode, the main character's big brother character dies. And it's worth noting, that's literally a homage and takeoff of Golion or, or Voltron, yeah. which a major character dies. So this is a bit of a tradition. I suppose that's true. 
I mean, so that kind of goes back there. There is that thread there. It's used sparingly in its own way. I mean, the real robot uses it, and I know Macross has a couple shocking deaths and things like that. But yeah. this sort of like prop kicked out from under you, I actually think of uh, well, my brain goes straight to Lucifer and Biscuit Hammer, <laughs> hmm. which we will talk about at the end of next season. But yeah, so like the episode after that victory, this episode just ends with abject sorrow. The next arc begins with Simon at his absolute lowest point. Yeah. He, he's fighting insanely. Like he is, Roshu is piloting Gurren, and for the moment the mech is working, but Simone is crazed, not listening to people. So, like, a lot of his mindset is that he blames himself for Kamina's death. The worst part of it is that she, essentially Shimon blames himself about for thinking bad thoughts about yeah. him before he died. Because Kamina needed to get out of his mecha to knock some sense into him. Like, because he was unable to be the person he needed to be at that moment, he becomes, he completely retreats into self-loathing. Unfortunately, it's not going well with others. Like, Hitan, like, kind of lashes out at him. Kamina, he, he, he actually attacks Roshu, asking if it was his god's fault. Yeah, and then just, like, completely just straight up uh, rails into uh, Roshu's religion. He's like, oh, wait, that's right. Your god wasn't a and- god at all. It was a, It was one of those gunmen. And like, and unfortunately, no one's trusting Simone. And no one should. No one should be allowed to trust anyone that is like. He's being very self-destructive. Yeah, it's self-destructive. And when he drags Rashi on a fight and goes wild on the Beastman, we actually see his his the meter peters out. Yeah, well, not just that. Like, um, Lagan is so disgusted by whatever is being put into him through Simone's emotions that it breaks away from Garen and starts to puke the, whatever that energy out. And then it just deactivates. It cannot move right now. And Simon has happened to find himself in a weird field full of coffin-type things. Boxes. Weird boxes. boxes. And thus, we are introduced to the main character of this next arc. When another box is thrown down, he has to, and he sees that his drill it can open it. Yes. He opens up this box that has just been thrown, and inside is a girl with... What would you? How would you describe this character? Well, she has yellow hair with blue highlights. Yeah, and the most obvious thing that you see when you see her is these strange pattern eyes, which are like a weird cross or a clover. I always oh. kind of thought it was a clover. She's wearing pink with a strange gold like band around her shoulders, like, and it, she's got a bow. She's got like a funny old bow, and she's wearing like um, arm bracelets and so forth. Like she just looks kind of fancy. Yep, she is an extremely cute uh, princess-type character in our extremely manly anime. She's never heard of rain. She's like, she's never felt mud. She's so excited to be outside. Right. We learn at the end of that episode that she is the daughter of Lord Genome, the leader of the Beastmen. (laughs) But basically, Nia almost becomes like, not really a replacement for for Kamina, but essentially she becomes a sort of a motivation to try to move on in some way. What she becomes is like a different kind of mentor for Simone. Whereas mm. from, from Kamina, Simone needed to learn how to harness his confidence and leadership. Nia need, he needed to learn to like himself. Yeah. He needs to learn to appreciate himself for who he is. And to do that, like Nia ends up seeing the part of him that he cannot see. And like, and unfortunately Simone, he's broken. And next episode, yeah. he can't pilot his mech. Right. And mm-hmm. everyone else has basically dismissed him when he is trying to reach out to him. Yep. And all of this kind of you see the shift from the monster of the week before the end of this arc to the crisis of the week 
yeah. uh, to that we have to deal with because now, now that we've essentially taken over this this giant uh, Dai Gunzan Mecca, now called the Dai Garen. Yeah, and we're calling it the Dai Garen now. The the Beastmen uh, Empire is officially trying to get well, rid of us in any way that they can. Every every crisis that we have to deal with now is a crisis on the same level as Timbalith and the Dai Gunzan. Yep. The next it's Adine, right? Adin, because she's the uh, she's Adinos and the Undine. So right. I think it's Adin is how they pronounce it. With her Daigunkai and her Seiryu Mecha. And her giant scorpion tail she whips Vera with. Yeah, uh, she basically shows up to be the one that sort of like confirms to us Nia's connection to Lord Genome. And, and then to tell her that she's been discarded after the first right. time she backs off. Yeah. Because right. apparently Lord Genome will discard his daughters. Basically, apparently Lord Genome makes daughters and then discards them when he gets bored of them. Or when if they break a taboo, like wanting to go right. outside. Is, is there like an implied, like creepy sexual aspect to all of this? Or is that just me reading into it? I must say probably not. So Lord Genome, he's a strange person. We'll be able to talk about him a bit more at the end of this bit. But when we make it to episode 11, that's when we get to hear about the haven that was more or less the reason why Kamina believed so much in Simon. Maybe just to put it simply, Simone's at his lowest point, just hiding, way-making statues. The others are following Keaton, and it doesn't go well. Yeah, Keaton is tricked into a trap involving women because... Keaton. Keaton. Keaton is trying to because replace Kamina, and he just doesn't quite have what it takes yeah. to be. To the point Keaton. that they actually dismiss Lagan as useless because it won't work, and they don't even accept right. that maybe they, they're not right. But I said, he literally, yeah. the trap might as well have said trap this way. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so, we learned from Simon that the, there was this time that in a cave-in where he was encouraged by Kamina basically not being afraid behind him. And it, and that gave I, him the confidence to keep going. He describes forward. as a story that he thought they were going to die, but Kamina always behind laughing and pushing him outward gave him, was able to convince him to keep going. And when Yoko hears that, she realizes, oh, Kamina actually told me a story about that kind of thing a little bit before and how. The context of, of Yoko's story is she heard it and she thought to herself, and then when they're all trapped in a jail, all failing to dig their way out, they see Simone working silently by himself. And he's already, I said, well, none of them could make even a dent. He's already made a hole big enough to fit his head into. Yeah. And she's like, oh, so that's what that meant. Yeah. And she realizes, oh, so what Kamina told her was in this moment, in this cave-in, he was scared shitless. He thought he was going to die. He was certain he was going to die. But then he sees Simone just continuing to dig. And it inspires him. And so he puts on a front. He yeah. he puts on a brave front because he because he feels like it's like I have to be better for him too. Yeah. He said Simone Davis said he's Simone, someone who will always dig them out. Is how he saw it. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. don't believe in me. Don't believe in me that believes in you. But no, believe in the you that believes in you. And mm-hmm. when and Simone just like has this epiphany in this moment that causes Lagan to drill through the ship down to where they're being held. Rips his way out to where Guam, yeah. Juanina and Nome, is holding yeah. Nia hostage. And they say he just rips his way out to save her. I really love the framing of, you know, the believe in the me that believes in you changing to I believe in the you that believes in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like the, the, the thing that kind of disappoints me about like a lot of, I guess, Internet culture about anime and stuff like that and games in general is that they've memified that and turned it into something cringe to laugh at 
Whereas in this moment, I, mean, I think it's 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 wonderful. It's it's actually a great turn of phrase. Believe in yourself is just sort of a cliche uh, that gets banding about a lot. And so it's interesting to see it like taken apart and reconstructed into this idea that believing in yourself is not like just a confidence in bravado and all that. It is knowing who your best person is and aspiring to that and believing that you can become that person. That's what believe in the you that believes in yourself means. And that is why it transforms Simon into what I would call like one of the most impressive anime protagonists ever in this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Guam, who came as custom at Gember, comes and is literally eating Gurren because it's a giant face. When after saving the uh, Simone comes down in Lagan in just the epic moment. This whole thing, because I feel I've gone through, you know, grief and loss and stuff like that, oh, yeah. too. And, you know, like I, I really do feel like Simone's uh, kind of process of grief is actually believable, especially considering how much kind of he blamed himself for Kamina's death. Mm-hmm. So it took him a long time to get over it. And, but then when he does, he he's finally able to improve himself as a person mm-hmm. by understanding himself. Yeah, he understands both what Kamina was trying to teach him and what Nia has been trying to teach him. And, it's, and, you, don't, and you get the impression he didn't even hear Yoko's story. He was still just, he was so focused on himself there. This Yoko story is for the others to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, Simon becomes the leader of Team Daigeren. And with him, just he gives one of the most iconic speeches I could imagine in anime. You have to see it to believe it. Hopefully you've seen it. Hopefully you're, you've seen it already if you're in the spoiler section. After everything, as it ends with him declaring who he is. Now that he has his own identity, we can basically press forward for the rest of this arc, which is just one battle after another taking care of the generals. We fight through all three of the generals Ron, now. and Cytomander for Sight Teen and Salamander, of course. The most notable thing in the fight with Cytomander is that our Grenlagon gains the ability to fly by combining with a flying... Basically, he shoots back, drills that, catches a, a basically a plane-style gunman, pulls it to its back, and incorporates it as a pair of wings. Just as a little side thought, like that is the most underutilized aspect of this entire show is just like, yeah, Lagan's ability to combine with everything just makes me go, I want a video game about that mechanic. That would be really fun. Anyway, that's all I want to say. I think it's called Mario Odyssey. No, no. <laughs> Mario Odyssey is just Kirby, but Mario. I'm talking about like a mecha game where you combine different things to your different parts of your body. I think that'd be maybe, great. Maybe that Hermit Crab game? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. So yeah, so basically we just wreck our way through the generals. Guam is the last to go when he uses his giant land mecha to combine with the huge drill city. Lord Genome's capital city, Teplin, is also a giant robot, as we find because out. Because why wouldn't it be? And it, in fact, not only is it a giant robot, it is another scale up from the battleships around by a significant level. It goes all the way up into the stratosphere. The Daigurin can hold a normal mech in its head. Teplin, the Daigurin looks like an ant next to it. Yeah, it basically, like, every single mecha that is in this next big large-scale fight that isn't Teplin is basically Daigurin scale. Like, like it is a massive battle that starts just like at this huge scale. And frankly, Teplin's not doing much better than sort of bombarding the area. Bombarding mm-hmm. the area. It has a giant hammer that it tries to hit the us with. Like, oh yeah. There's just a wonderful moment where they ram Daigeren into the giant hammer, uh, launch their sword and only sword first. Yep. Uh, launch the sword <laughs> through it, destroy the hammer uh, in a wonderful reference to Macross with the Daedalus maneuver. Shout out if you understand that. All this to get Gurren Lagann into the throne room. Where he meets Vera one last time, who has been granted immortality, apparently. 
Yep, V-roll has been granted immortality, which doesn't end up mattering much because Lord Genome's just like, no, I did not give you immortality to fight. I give you immortality so you could tell the story of me winning. Be my chronicler for all time. Yep. A little bit warped, might I say. Oh, yeah. But, um... Genome is a... We finally see him now. He's just this giant hulk of a man. Like, like he looks like he's a, he could got, be a pro wrestler. He could be a pro wrestler. He's just his nice. eyes have permanent spiral marks in him. He's oh, yeah. he's shirtless with a huge thatch of spiral shaped uh, uh, chest hair. Doesn't he look strangely human? Oh, he is, oh, he is human. He looks he's human. absolutely human. One hundred percent. Yeah. So he lo- he does not look like a normal beast man. But he's always been called the creator of Beastmen. Yeah. And he's common that Beastmen cannot reproduce. I think he said. And then for, yes. and then like he says, he declares like, no, I'm the one protecting humanity. And I would turn all my girls here into drills to help power my mecha. So he has a mecha that is also powered by a Lagan type thing that called the Lazengan. It doesn't seem to come apart, but it looks a lot like a like an evil. It looks like a Gurren Lagan uh, model mecha. Yeah, like it's a similar height. It has a wicked looking tail to it, but it still has the extremely smooth humanoid shape, and its top face is very similar looking to Lagan's. The two mecha fight to a standstill, and eventually um, it scales down again. During a Giga Drill fight against Rosengan, it's actually he, – he, he ejects Lagan into Rosengan. It starts to take over. He's like, so this is as far as the mecha goes. He gets out of his mecha, walks down to Lagan, and punches the shit out of it. Yeah, and so now it is a fist fight between this badass old guy and Lagan on top of the mecha. And guess what? Lord Genome's winning. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the mechanism, I said, he's hitting Simo directly. So this kid is being pretty, he's being rattled. He's being yeah. beat up. And so eventually like Lagan shuts down. Head is exploded in the flames. I feel that's worth mentioning. Yeah. That, it's worth mentioning that like Lord Genome is just like, whatever the energy is that powers Lagan is also coming out of Lord Genome's body at this point. Though it's dark and red and twisted looking. Yeah. Yeah. And he calls mm-hmm. it the spiral more than once. He actually yeah. calls it by name. And yep. he rips Lagan apart with his bare hands. Like, he really tears yep. its arms off and yep. just lifts this, the half-conscious Simone out. Simone pulls the key out of the mecha and jams it into Lord Genome's chest, turns it... Right into the spiral hair. And a huge blast of energy just, like, is seen from miles away. And Lord Genome has a giant hole in his chest now. Yep. He's kind of impressed. It's like, huh, your energy was greater than mine. And so Lord Genome leaves us with these lines as he dies. I see. Your power has grown sufficient to outstrip my own. Hear this now. You will soon come to regret it. I will leave you with this warning. When the land overflows with a million apes, the moon will become hell's messenger and completely destroy the world of the spiral. And with that, Genome falls off the edge of Teplin, which also falls apart. Yep. And we have a time skip to the next story arc. I mean, essentially, they won the war against the oppressive force that was keeping hum- yeah. humans uh, underground. We go into the future. Was it five years, seven years? At seven years. Seven years. Seven years. And essentially, at this point, the Do- Team Daigoren is essentially... George Washington is army, you know, essentially yeah. uh, Simon is the hero of the entire world. And he was easily elected as the leader of of all of humanity on Earth, more or less. Of, of Kamina City built around the remains of Teplin. Like it's been yep. pulled up and turned into a tower. So it's also um, worth noting the only person in the government that actually seems to know how to govern is Roshu. 
I mean, some of the others aren't stupid. Keaton later, he shows a surprising amount of skill in how courtroom scenes should go. But yeah, it's kind of the rest are like Simone's trying to work with everyone. Several of the others are being kind of aggressive. Me heads not paying attention. Roshu's being the secretary trying to get everything done. But he also feels like very frustrated. People aren't directly listening to him. Shimon is kind of struggling a little bit because he wants to be a good leader. But essentially, he, he doesn't really know what to do in peacetime. You, right. you know what I mean? He, 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 he's best when he is out there doing something with his, with his hands and body. I'll say, compared to the others, Simone's not exactly suffering, but it's clear he's not using his best skill set. Right. Yeah, he, he's, it's just not what he is built to do. Part of the thing about the story arc is that he kind of does need to learn a bit of that. <laughs> and unfortunately, we do see that some questionable stuff's happening. Rashu's literally forcing people out of their underground cities if they're still staying in them because he wants to count them. Beastmen are clearly being oppressed to some degree, at least some are. Like we see Viral's kind of turn into some sort of anti-government fighter. There's what you call it, a, pockets of Beastmen resistance too. Oh, there, yeah. There's, yeah. It's kind of, you know, the, the world is more or less taken over by humans again after the fall of Teplin. But there's still like uh, Viral is the de facto leader and trying to push against that. And some beastmen are living peacefully here. Like we see quite yeah. a few are. So it's it's not like just saying all are bad or all are refusing, luckily. But and Rashu's kind of been doing this count behind people's backs. They were a little bit shocked to find him forcing people out of their homes. It needs to be said, like I probably should have int- introduced him to this, but like this is the most divisive arc in this series. Uh, it's a pretty significant margin, like. I still know people that consider this arc just like a complete betrayal of everything that Grand Lagan had set up to this point. Well, I know people who don't hate the arc, but they, there's a character they will never forgive. Right. Mm. So, like, we find out also that Roshu has been kind of going also behind everyone's back and developing this weird science stuff uh, behind everyone's back. Including a computer powered by Lorgino's brain. <laughs> we found this head. It's a waste not to use it. So they yeah. plug it into something and somehow it becomes a organic computer that can access the uh, Lorgino's memory, but supposedly is not him in any form. Though it does, it's just the speaking head. So Yeah, they've essentially plugged you know. in Lord Genome's brain into a computer. Yep. But it's still not supposed to have his personality, though it does have his voice, his face, you know. Meanwhile, Simone is getting ready to propose to Nia after seven years of just sort of like kicking that can down the road. <laughs> Well, you know, it's healthy to spend a long time, you know, first becoming an adult, living together, figuring out how that stuff goes, rebuilding civilization. Neither of them quite understand it. During all of this, the twist uh, suddenly happens. We don't have time to get used to this new normal because we get a do they actually present it with a counter going up? I think they do. Yes. And so basically, suddenly the, the millionth human is living on the surface. And Nia vanishes in front of Simone. Everything yep. changes. Yes. At that moment, Mecha appear out of nowhere. Weird CG Mecha. Weird Mecha that don't have faces. That's an important point. <laughs> yeah, they're they're different than any Mecha we've ever seen. They're angular. They tend to have weird circles around them. It takes advantage of the fact that CGI at that time in anime was still, like, kind of odd looking. And, like, they're, makes they it... They play a rather horrifying synthesizer piece plays to accompany them. I kind of feel like the the design is, I don't know if it's intentional, but it it definitely makes me think of Evangelion's angels, except as smaller beings. Yeah, this is your your apocalyptic robot era, and this is Evangelion. We have now gone full Evangelion, and that's part of why it is a divisive arc. (laughs) Essentially, you can draw a very large parallel between Kamina City and Neo Tokyo 2 or whatever it is. Uh, Tokyo 3. Or Tokyo 3, yeah, sorry. 
But what, hap- what happens here is we've switched from a hot-blooded war into basically a despair horror show. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's worth noting that – so uh, this mecha shows up. Uh, Simon goes out with Gren Lagan to – And the grapples. The grapples uh, show up a bit later. Like, so, no, no, yeah. they, no, no, they appear here. They just fail, and Gren Lagan yeah, yeah, goes yeah, out the gra- so. Yeah, like they're starting to mass-produce mecha that aren't uh, powered by the same kind of energy that the Beastman mecha are, that are like just normal uh, human-piloted mecha – and they'd be on their name. Do they look like Gurren Lagann knockoffs? If Gurren Lagann is the prototype, then these are all the uh, like mass-produced ones. And they can't fight this thing at all. But Gurren Lagann comes on and fights it, but even though he wins... It's at a great cost. Because the damn thing turns into squares. Turns into squares, and each of those squares causes a massive explosion. It carpet bombs a, a chunk of the city, let's be honest. Yeah. These mecha that are attacking us are specifically designed to fight hot-blooded characters and turn that against them. Mm-hmm. Roshu is like, well, that's not good. We need to figure out how to do something about this. And before they even have a moment to catch their breath, Nia reappears. in some sort of skin-tight alien outfit. Yep, and she announces herself to be the messenger of the anti-spiral. Now that there's a million uh, humans on the planet, gotta kill ya. Yeah, the anti-spiral is something like they can't allow you to exist, I think, is something like that. Yeah, it is not allowed for a million spiral beings to be on this planet for whatever reason. We don't know yet. She's robotic. She's cold. It seems like she's been mind jacked, basically. Yeah, yeah. And she she commented casually that she was just like a sleeper program in humanity. It was a coincidence it happened to be from this person. Yes. Like the humanity annihilation system. The humanity annihilation system ultimately is the moon. It's going to crash on the world. And the anti-spirals talk about something called the spiral nemesis, and it's an event they wish to prevent. In 2021, the moon will come to us. Is that what that tagline was? Yeah. But that ended up being just a giant mass of nanomachines inside the moon. Nice. <laughs> and between the anti-spiral messenger and Lord Genome's computer head, both Simone and Roshi learn a lot. Mm-hmm. That Lagan and other mechas were, were remnants of an ancient war against the anti-spirals. Yeah. That, that that evil Nia points out that that humanity, look how fast they've grown in seven years. This is proof that their evolution is out of control. Yep. It is implied that spiral energy or they don't call it spiral energy. Yet. I'm not gonna... No, they do. But they don't yeah. explain more about the spiral nemesis yet. That's yeah. like humanity's uh, evolution. Uh, yeah, it's implied that uh, whatever it is about humans that causes them to multiply like this is viewed as a threat and it needs to be put down right now. Doesn't this entire thing have a very Malthusian flavor? Like- yes. Yeah, but, like, like essentially, if, if humanity grows unchecked, they will destroy the universe yes. through. Well, they haven't said what yet. So they just will. They're evolution. They're terrified of humans getting too big for their britches. And so it, in, it, in three it, weeks, the moon will leave its orbit and fall. And that will be essentially an extinction event. It's beyond hilarious. Those two coming together, if the falls fast enough, it doesn't get broken apart and turned into rings, it would break the earth in half. So this causes Roshu to take the reins of the government into his own hands. Yep. And so what what happened is that after the what you call it, the after the event with the suicide bombs, with the the strange anti-spiral mechs that we had, there were a lot of people who died and a lot of people who were injured and harmed. And on top of that, everyone heard about what was going to happen to the moon. It was broadcast oh, yeah. to all humanity. Yeah. And everybody everybody in the city saw that it was Gurren Lagan fighting these mechas, and then the explosions happened. And so, essentially, people are looking for somebody to blame. Yep. And some of the blame that you dragged us, you've dragged us from underground, and that now we're all going to die because of that. That's your fault, too. So Roshu takes matters into his own hands, forms a minor coup, basically says, okay, I'm in charge now. 
Simone, you're going to be the scapegoat, and I'm going to come up with ways to fight this thing. He puts Simone under arrest, starts developing weaponry that will be able to fight these things. They make it work exactly once. Well, as soon as they do it, like more mechas start showing up in, a, in bigger numbers. So Roshu has found a contingency plan. The Ark Garen. In Jim's head, they found a really, really far down elevator with a huge mecha in it. Yep. And, and this mecha is a spaceship. Uh, it is about the size of Teplin itself. Yeah. Rashu puts Simone through a show trial. Kitan even points out, and Rashu says, well, someone has to take the blame. Yep. And I'm commander now. It's like, what? As soon as he was convicted, I'm commander. It's like, Rashu is being absolutely utilitarian here. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's assumed that he, he believes that he has the route there and it has to go forward. And the interesting thing about it, about it too, is that it's explicitly calling back to the village that Roshio came from. This is Roshio kind of feeling the pressure and emulating the priest from his village. Yeah. And like, frankly, he goes into dark things. A group of Mugan show up and Simone demands to fight them in order to make sure that he doesn't blow himself up. He literally has his assistant, Kitan's middle sister, who is very close yeah. to him. Yeah, I believe so. Sitting inside Gurren, covered in explosives, saying, this is to make sure you come back. Yeah. And, and she's she willing. totally willing. She's totally willing. It's creepy as heck. Um, yeah, because the that entire group, the uh, Kitan sisters, uh, are intensely loyal to Roshi. No, just, just keep No, just her. Uh, the oldest is married to, uh, to, to, um, to Yoko's old friend, and the youngest is just kind of hanging around. Oh, and also, okay. we've rather mentioned, Yoko vanished. Yeah, Yoko is the one person that realized that governing is not for her, and she goes off to do something else. And she didn't yeah. like what she was seeing with the others either. So, yeah. So, yeah, so the one sister is extremely loyal, and she's kind of the serious one. And so, and then once Steve thinks he has countermeasures, he declares Gurren Lagann obsolete, it kind of throws Simone into it into a beast man prison, which seems yeah. like attempted murder. He loads up as much of humanity as he can save on Ark Garen. Yeah, he says, I'm going to put you on there. We're going to survive in space for some time. They come back down. Everyone else get underground. But he realizes from data that no, nothing on Earth will survive. So he starts quietly cutting a number of people and adding more plants and animals. Yes. And again, without telling anyone, he's keeping everything tight to himself here. It's yep. So he goes up into space. And what should be there? Basically an armada. Yeah, an armada of Mugan. They named these Mecha Mugan because they don't have faces. Literally, mm. Mugan means faceless. Yes. And while, and, while, and while Simone, after having an oddly bonding fight with Vero in prison and being mocked again by Nia, mm -hmm. they, in the, in the, up in space, things are going badly. The people are afraid. They don't know what's happening. And that's actually weakening the Ark Gurren. Yep. Yoko uh, shows up to save Simone. We learned that she was a teacher all this time. In a remote area. And frankly, she finally gets fed up after seeing what's going on. It's like, what the hell are you all doing? Yep. And she comes to snap Simone out of it, though he was already freaked out, realizing what was going to happen in space. Yep. Simone's just like, hey, Viral, want to come with? <laughs> Viral, who's oh, great. He's kind of been really aimless. He he realized only partly through the second act that Kami was dead, so he would never get his rematch for his honor. And then as I lost everyone else to him, he came he, we don't really know what happened to him, but by the time we see him after the time skip, he's turned into like an anti-government fighter trying to protect people from like Roshu's bad ideas. Yeah, yeah. I, I think at this point, Viral has kind of 
uh, after the announcement to the entire world of impending doom by the anti-spiral, do you think he knew about that whole thing from Lord no. Genome? Or no, absolutely. Lord Genome, Genome never told him anything. He, okay. he greatly disapproved what, what Roshu was doing because A, it would just accelerate the number of people on the surface, and B, it was just kind of a cruel thing to do. Yeah. And he seems mm-hmm. to accept it. He, he's a witness now. Like yep. He does what he can. His, he fights his mecha for seven years to its breaking point, but still. But so yeah. then Simon gets Viral to come along as the final co-pilot for Gren Lagan, and the two fly off into space and destroy half the alien fleet with their awesomeness alone. And I am not joking. Yeah. I mean, Viral doesn't even <laughs> have spiral energy. They explicitly say Beastmen cannot form it. That was kind of Genome's loophole to having a force on the surface. Yes. But just the two of them appearing, it's just there's a wave of explosions when they. Well, no, not just that. Like they give a speech, just a mm. speech. And at the end of it, like they're who the hell do you think we are? creates a massive blast of energy that just completely wipes out half the enemy armada just by the presence of their awesomeness. Yeah. It's so good. In fact, once they once the energy goes off, the moon actually, act, an energy source activates inside the moon and it starts firing at them. So it tells us what exactly is happening. Yep, yep. so the moon is actually secretly a mech. It is and a... It just, turns, it just turns to this huge Majora mask uh, face crumbles out of the, uh, the regolith. <laughs> and I'm just going to say right now, like, this was the moment this episode episodes 21 and 22 were the moments where Gren Lagan became my favorite show ever. Like just in that moment, I was just like, I, the level of like where it thought where it was going and how it was doing it just blew my mind. I love it. So what happens next is the two massive Mugan try to trap both the Ark Gurren and Gurren Lagan in energy fields. And Gurren Lagan responds by pulling them together and, and drilling into, into the Ark Gurren. And they, so they form Ark Gurren Lagan. Like a mecha <laughs> so big that Gurren Lagan is literally consumed, like in this transformation, it's it, like its mouth forms over it. And it sits in, and it has a cockpit. Yeah, it, the, you have a giant robot piloted by a giant robot. How it's could hilarious. you notice this? It's wonderful. Ark Gurren Lagan is pretty awesome. By the way. It's got Gurren Lagan's shape, but since Ark Gurren is such a large silver hull, it forms this huge armor and shoulder pieces around it. And then it just punches the uh, Mugan out of space-time. Yeah, it just explodes them away. Yeah, it announces that it's going to do a space-time breaking punch, does an uppercut, and just because that's what they named the attack, I, I guarantee you, that's why it was. They crack space. It cracks space and just launches the Mugan out of it. I think they find Broly in there. <laughs> <laughs> would you be surprised? I would not be surprised. So that's all that taken care of. But we still have to deal with the moon. Roshu's just stunned. It's like, yeah, it's not like he's angry. It's just like he's just staring blankly at everything that's happening here. Yeah, like he. Unfortunately, as big as Ark Gurren is, it's still very small next to the Halloween moon face. Ark Gurren Lagan can't fight the moon, unfortunately. But we can go inside the moon and figure out what's actually going on in there. Because Lord Genome tells us that the moon is actually a super battleship. It's the Cathedral Terra. Yes. I think there's this great moment like Fear's like, wait, you come back to life? Yeah, kind of. It's interesting, though. If you're just like, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's just like it's, his God King is back as a head of the jar. And Vero is slightly annoyed that they're just OK with it. It does seem like like Lord Genome is more, much more dispassionate. It's not quite oh, yeah. fully him. No, but no. it's yeah, yeah. It's, you're right. You're it right. declares itself as not him. It's a yeah. intelligence using his memories. Uh, Simone flies into the moon because there's another huge drill inside. Uh, not a drill inside. It is a slot for a drill. It looks a lot like those at the councils. If you turn one of Grunlagon's drills into a core drill, you could turn the 
moon back into a spaceship form. But no, at this point, it's Art Gurenlog. Oh, no, he oh, actually, yes, Gurenlog and pop back out. My mistake. Yeah, he, they <laughs> basically, they use Arc Gurenlogon to stop the moon, and then Gurenlogon flies into the moon to try and activate it. Nia is there then, to stop Simon, but Simon is just like, no, I'm going to save you. She, she's challenging him to sacrifice her standing in front of the drill. They, the computer genome points out that she'll explode like everything and destroy the council. But then Simone's like, you don't believe what you're saying, Nia. Yep. You're wrong. She's like, why would you say that? Then why are you wearing the ring I gave you? Because the anti-spiral has not been able to completely er erase the part of Nia that is very much loves Simone, loves humanity, wants the world to stay. She moves out of the way. She moves out of the way at the last moment. And the moon transforms into these giant spaceship that we saw at the start of the series. Yep. It needs to be said, this is that spaceship that was in the very first scene. Yeah. And Nia starts slowly losing this passion is saying, like, it's not going to save you. Now they'll enter war footing and they'll take me back to the home world. He's like, I'll still save you. And then, like, that just sounds like you will. And then yep. she vanishes. Yep. So we have a. So the arc concludes with Roshi returning to his village of his roots. Where he meets his old the priest, who frankly is kind of implied to be his father. They look very similar. I think one of my favorite lines in the series actually is just the old priest gives Roshu the the holy book that they had. He had said before, I don't know how it's like he had said that before he gave them back to it's like I don't know how to read priest like that's okay, neither do I. Right, right, right. And Roshu goes back with the book. He's like, So I, I tried every language to find up. None of them work. He's like, so this was just someone's weird prank? Yeah, exactly. Like the holy book that like is the entire basis of this village's religion is just like a complete and total prank. I mean, it already been something they weren't even using, but... Like, after Roshi was just sort of, like, made peace he, with himself and all that, he... Well, peace, no, but he, he looks like he's howled himself out of everything he needed to do. Yeah. Mm. He, he is he is empty. Because essentially, I think the problem with Roshu is that he thought what he was doing was right, and then when the crisis emerged, Shimon sh showed up to basically pull him out of the fire and prove that he that what he was doing was in fact completely wrong. The, the problem is Roshu relied on logic, and unfortunately he's facing an opponent who understands logic, who knows how to use it and twist it against you. But doesn't understand how to fight emotion. Which is funny, because you think that's be the main thing to fight, but they find it easier to suppress emotion rather than fight it. What ends up happening is Roshu is about to kill himself when Simon invents the ability to teleport just to go and punch Roshu in the face to yeah. knock him out. Because this whole mecha comes flying, just punches his way. He's, by the way, underground in this sort of deep cavern. It just slams in front of him, who's holding a gun to his head, and with Keenan to help him, of course. And then yeah. Simo comes flying out of the head and... Dex him. Grit your teeth. Punch those teeth. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's a great, great character moment. I really love the, the whole thing where Shimon has not replaced Kamina, but taken, taken Kamina's best attributes and become something more. I sort of view it as this arc is Roshu has to learn something from Simon, but Simon also has to learn a little something from Roshu as well. I mean, from Kino's mm. story, like Roshu was even fighting his own conscience for his actions, but he had convinced yeah. himself it was right. He yeah. had learned sacrifice, and even if he never enjoyed it, he still defaulted back to it as the right choice. So right. Even yep. against his own like his own instincts, he was basically, that's why I can't fully hate him, though I do dislike yeah. his actions, because he was destroying himself. Well, the, yeah. the interesting thing is also that we're intended to kind of call back to what Lord Genome was doing as well. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Essentially, uh, essentially, Roshi was on the path to becoming Lord Genome number two. Yeah, exactly. The entire motivation for Lord Genome, we find out, is that he went up against the anti-spiral in the Cathedral Terra and lost. Yep. And so he was so terrified of the anti-spiral and the eventual fate that waited for humanity if they crossed the anti-spiral that he decided that it was better to simply sacrifice uh, most of humanity so that the few could stay alive in yep. in that state that was at the beginning of the show. Yep. And it was and it was easier to create a villainous race of beastmen to suppress them brutally than anything else. And it is worth noting because he was becoming Genome 2, the Anti-Sprouts already know how to beat a Lord Genome. So yep. that's why Rachi was losing. So what we need is a person who even Lord Genome said had more, po- more power than him back when yep. he was a child. Let's talk a bit about what Spiral Power actually is, because that's yeah. the first topic of the next arc. Yep. Spiral Power is the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> and evolution and possibly horniness. Yeah, it, it is the drive to survive. It's emotion. It's the drive to survive. It's hope. It's all of these things. Yeah. Beastmen don't have it, but it's explicitly said that they're supposed to be because they were because they were sterile was implied to be the reason. Yeah. That's the one thing that I don't really like about Gurren Lagan, as far as if you take the logic a little bit too far, I can I, I'm not going to harp on it because I'm not I, I don't think they actually meant it that way. But I've seen some takes about about that where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, like so uh, so sterile people can't have uh, have have this drive. I mean, we see people who don't have children. They're still they're still pushing for the future. I think it was a little bit simplified. So I think it was just because it was a little simple. I mean, that's the problem of metaphors is there will always be a too far. There will always be a th- way you can take the metaphor too far. In this case, spiral power is the will of, is the will for people to survive. And it basically comes about from people in spiral galaxies. It, it also is the it's not just survive, but also to advance, like not just yourself, but to advance everything. Yeah, it mm. is. It is a constant push to advancing to the future. And it, and it represents itself as this energy which creates matter. Like spiral energy literally creates matter. That's why things like Gurren Lagann happen. The anti-spirals start manifesting as a voice. And their argument back is infinite energy is infinite mass. Mm-hmm. Too mm-hmm. much energy is a black hole. Yep. And so the, the spiral f- nemesis will come. The spiral nemesis is the black hole that devours the universe. So, so essentially, uh, you know, like th- this is a very similar argument, I guess, f- uh, for the uh, for if you've seen uh, Puola Magi Madoka Magica, you know, the the creators of Cube are very much in the anti-spiral vein, and the the uh, the energy that Cube is harnessing can be interpreted as spiral energy as well. Well, I, I like to joke that every ma- magic anime energy is just spiral energy, but... And yes. that all anime is one universe that... Not, not all animes, it's just there's certain certainly. animes that are definitely set in Gurren Lagann, and also non-animes that are still cartoons and stuff. Avatar The Last yeah. Airbender is in the, set in the same world of Gurren Lagann. In fact, it takes place after. Don't ask me to explain <laughs> it. I understand it. What happened to all the great bitbos? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically... Evolved. in In the Cathedral Terra that they now call the Choginga Gurren Lagann... Super Galaxy Digeren, Lagan. No, no, Super Galaxy Digeren. Right? Yeah, Super Galaxy Digeren. Yes. They take the Super Galaxy Digeren to fly across space to... After towing the real moon out of the extra dimension that the Anti-Sprout was parked in, in my ad. Yeah. This is kind of what that happens. Oh, yeah. Like, what are we going to do with taking the moon? Oh, we just got to get the real moon out of there. Okay. Yeah, that's they, fine. They parked, they parked it in a hole. 
And so they 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 use the drill teleportation and the space time punch that uh, that Shimon invented. They're locking on the Nia's ring. We can do that to chase down the anti spirals into yes. their dimension. And so we go to the furthest reaches of space. And there's a giant Nia. Yeah, we find a giant Nia there, and also every single trap you can possibly imagine. There's a couple of giant mechs. They look like huge Phoebus and Demos covered with with eerie faces. Like, the facial design is specifically designed to evoke Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, as I recall. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure these was, things. These things are massive. They're bigger than Cathedral Terra, probably. They're shooting out a bunch of hand robots? Hand robot, feet robots, extra face robots, as I recall. And they're yeah, not really like, doing anything. They're just kind of swarming out and getting shot. almost kind of body horror-ish, almost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it's designed to be intentionally unsettling. And like after, oh, it is uh, worth mentioned the the Gurin the Gurin, the Gurin Brigade all have have our Gurin login level ones too. Like they have secondary mechs oh, yeah. sitting inside because Cathedral Terror has amazing fab, fabrication to, tools. Yeah, Spiral Energy can do a lot of shit. Uh, it makes well, that's a lot just, of no, that's a giant moon sh- a moon mass robot could do a lot of shit. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> after the fight seems to be going okay. They get drawn in. They get drawn in deep. Our Gurin login can't break through the mechas. They have some sort of shield. And all these mechas start to activate. Yeah. The second they turn around, the faces, like the, the eyes light up, the mouths open, and they and they go into a full swarm. Oh, I, so also in order to break their shield, uh, they need to act, be able to use the Super Galaxy Digeren's drills. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to mention, in the second opening of the series, there's a moment where Gurren Logan poses and three larger different shaped echoes appear behind it. The first one's the arc Gurren Logan. So we were... Yeah. We were speculating like shit, as I recall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we have to turn the Super Galaxy Digeran into Super Galaxy Gurren Lagan. Because, of course, that, you got to. That one's going to be hard. We see yeah. we see our Gurren Lagan in like some sort of drill generator, like with all its arms or drills. Inside that, the Gurren Lagan is doing the same thing. Yeah. And we're seeing a spiral energy cost. It's ticking up very yeah. slowly. Yeah, Simon needs to generate enough spiral energy to just like to go transform a moon-sized mecha. That's going to take it's a good. lot. It's at forty-eight percent. It's going to be in there ten minutes, and, and just right about then is when the trap is sprung. Yeah, uh, all the hand and feet mecha that the uh, anti spirals are using press down on the uh, super galaxy Digeren. Well, no, before that, they just basically go into full swarm attack mode and start wrecking shit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like first, they all they lose all their unmanned grapple tr- drones pretty much immediately, and then they start swarming, tearing. The, they start tearing apart. We lose several secondary members of the crew. Yeah, we haven't talked about a lot of them, but like uh, they don't do much. They don't do much apart from just like show up in battles. But like all the side team Digeren members that, apart from Keton and Yoko, get wasted in this fight. Yeah, it's a joke. I said the the crazy twins. The uh, the bald guy who was married to the to the mechanic lady we didn't mention the cool guy with the cigarette they all just get torn apart yeah and and I think I've even missed one or two and just like I said as he's going Simone is stewing and freaking out in there yeah and Vero is lamenting he can't help yep uh, and but just as it seems like they're going to be able to transform it that's when these uh, hand and feet mecha just start pushing the super galaxy tiger in yep just basically they shove it into and. A giant celestial ocean. Like it appears as a mirror first and yeah. they are pushed right into it. And what we find out is that this is basically like super dense matter that is designed to prevent spiral energy from forming. Well, it, it absorbs and condenses. It's like a black yeah. pulse or spiral yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah. 
And then we, we literally just see their spiral energy is just absorbed and they start powering down. We're calling this d- entire dimension, you can refer to it as the spiral graveyard. Yeah. Because it's essentially the last line of defense the, the, that the anti-spiral have of uh, against the various spiral races. And it seems like a lot of spiral r- races have gotten here and met their end here. There are dead Lagans throughout this ocean. Yeah, this is where Lord Genome lost, apparently. So, yes. like, the, we get the the idea through environmental storytelling here that this is a cycle that has happened millions and millions and millions of times. Yes. And, and in the in the meantime, the hand and feet are pushing him further and deeper in, and pressure is increasing. Some cool stuff happens. Viral Menti can't help, so, so Simone's tiny pet mole pig suddenly starts shows that it's a spiral spiral energy battery. Yep. It doesn't save them, but it gives them more time. Yeah. And they, they reach this, the death spiral machine, a massive tumor object deep in the middle of the ocean, surrounded surrounded by a by a thick barrier of anti-energy. And so yep. it, that is the thing that generates this this yeah. this spiral black hole. So yeah, Keaton. After their first missile fails, the pressure's too great. Keaton's just like, okay, so we have to deliver that missile directly. I don't have anything else to live for. <laughs> well, and so he, he actually stops Yoko because he had heard yeah. Yoko mention she had kids. He isn't sure what it means, but he still concludes she has more to live for. Yeah. He picks up a drill that broke off Gurren Logan as it was desperate for energy. He straps it to the back of his mecha, gets in the space mecha, and tells him to load the missile on, onto his ship. And so he flies and into the heart of the spiral graveyard. After kissing Yoko, just to say he, he wanted to be sure he could do it. Yep. <laughs> As uh, the best song of the series starts playing. The song is called Libera Me From Hell. Uh, it is a uh, operatic remix of the rap theme that we've been hearing throughout the series. Uh, the, so the rap theme is called Rap Is A Man's Soul. Uh, <laughs> great name for a song. Do yeah. the impossible, see the invisible, row, row, fight the power, all that. Mm-hmm takes those lyrics and mixes them with this crazy power opera. It's it's a mixture of Latin prayer for the cease, grant them peace, and the Dies Irae, the Day of Wrath. Right. Yeah. It kind of feels very Final Fantasy com- composition to me in many ways. Oh, yeah. Seton taking the path of Kamina. Is that not going to say something cliche like goodbye, everyone? Yep. And then he... And, he, and his missiles fail. The space mech is apparently broken. But inside it is his original mech with with Gorillagon's drill embedded on its hands. And so he basically declares that the drill is his soul, too, and makes a giga drill breaker. The drill breaks apart, forms like a, a holster, like it literally forms a socket around his hand. Yeah. And he creates a giga drill breaker that looks twice the size of Gorillagon's normal. Yeah. And he blasts right through it, saying, so this is what spiral energy is like. It's really something. Yep. <laughs> Like, so the explosion, like, releases all the spiral energy, which, like... Supercharge. Supercharges the Super Galaxy Digeran to transform, make its transformation. I love the Lord Gino compared to, like, this operation has 0% chance of succeeding, but it seems theoretical calculations are pointless when you're concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I love that line, but I also really, I, I, I kind of, like, see this as, you know, essentially breaking the death spiral machine, which I believe the the anti-spirals kind of gloat that no spiral race has ever gotten past this, ever. Oh, yeah. 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 And the so... Is, what, when, the, the thing is, this dramatic transformation in which Simone's goggles first turn into Kamiya's glasses and into, into greater star glasses with the King Katan shape. Yes. Mm. It's so good. It's so and cool. So, this gigantic, 
huge neck mecca. I, I want to explain. It looks like it has gigantic I, neck muscles. Huge shoulder drills. Yeah, yeah. it's a mecha that's the, that's the size of the planet. It is. Yeah. It's bigger. It's bigger than Cathedral Terror by quite a bit. In fact, yep. you know, it seems like when they when they destroyed the Death Spiral machine, they liberated all of the spiral energy that that it had ever absorbed. Yep. Yes. You know, so and they were, said, we're ready to go anytime. And Simone just calls yep. that we'll show yep. you the power of humanity. Simon is able to destroy all of the creepy face mecha that are out. Oh, by the way, start grabbing and throwing planets. Yeah. And because they just unfurl huge arms. Yeah. And yeah. even though they have a perfect shield, they're actually now probability is coming to play. They're breaking probability that they hit anyways. Is this so, the uh, point at which the all the stars in the sky are our enemies uh, thing no. happens? No, they no. do not Here's say that. But they do shoot every place into every axis of time. Then we've gone from manipulating space and time to manipulating probability itself. Yep. This is where the anti-spiral finally makes their true move. You yep. We thought that was their last barrier. This is not. Nope. They still have a few moves left to play. They show them a vision of the spiral nemesis to break their souls, and then it pulls them into a mind trap. Yeah. Essentially, the spiral nemesis is the idea that that a spiral race, meaning humans in this case, is allowed to go unchecked, they will inevitably destroy the entire universe. Yes. That's the core fear of it. Like, and I, it's the big crunch. And mm. I remember back in the day, like I was really arguing like, oh shit, this is crazy. Like the whole, the whole thread of this is what if Simon does become the spiral nemesis because of how powerful he is. And I remember people being like, what are you talking about? Simon's not evil. I'm like, no, that's not the point. It's, uh, it's so, it's so the anti-spiral basically they, their minds appear to be pulled from their body. Yep. And we and like they've all entered these weird versions of their lives. Like Simone imagines himself back in a village, a slightly more modernized village where he where he and Kamita are, are petty thieves. Yep. Uh, Yoko is a celebrity. Um, like everyone is having their own little Lotus Eater machine alternate reality where they are like at peace. Yeah. The idea is more or less that they are they're essentially giving each individual exactly what they want. It is. It is. I think they call it the space time labyrinth now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and out in reality, only the only boot of the mole pig and the Lord Gino are there to witness a flickering human like silhouette appear yep. and just gloat over them. That this is that they I said that sp- beings with thoughts can never exist this path. And yeah, because because essentially the idea is, is that they're trapping them in a labyrinth. But the idea of the labyrinth is that it's constructed such that that each individual will never actually want to leave. But fortunately, they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. Because yeah. Simon it, remembers the real Kamina. Yeah. In a vision where he's next to what looks like Nia's canister, while weak, fake Kamina is begging for his life, the real Kamina appears in some form. I said, there can't be more than one of me. Who would you rather follow? Like, one of the lines that just gets me after, like, after Simon punches the fake Kamina and says that his the drill is his soul, reprises who he is, I just it just breaks me every time that Kamina says, "Wow, you got taller than me." Because Simon only <laughs> just then returns to his adult appearance. He looks out yeah. for he's kind of like, "When did you get taller than me?" Yeah, it's <laughs> like it actually kind of wrecks me even thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, Kamina, he is completely at peace, completely calm. Your question <laughs> is like, do you say this is him, or do you say this is Simone's internal image of him? But does it matter? doesn't matter mm. and then simone transforms into gurren logan like from yeah. the drill down the armor forms over him the faceplate slides over his face yep he flies across everyone's visions and everyone just like 
has an understanding Which, immediately and transforms it into their own uh, spiral yeah, I, energy to follow. I up. mean, that gives Yoko a moment too when she was thinking of all her possibilities, including Kitan too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but like, then heartbreakingly, we do see Viral and we see him imagining a family. Yeah, Jeez. Mm. he has a he has a nice kind of deer eared Zelda wife and a cute little kid. Mm-hmm. And I say Zelda because that's the first thing I think of with that outfit, but well, it also works because it feels like a reference to the fact that he's voiced by Link. <laughs> yeah, and he just looks up and says, "Oh, this was a sweet dream then," mm-hmm. and and that hurts. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he still, but he still finds resolve and grinning magically as ever. He joins the rest. I really oh. like that character moment for Viral. It's a good one. Yeah, it makes me wish we saw more of what happened to Viral. Because it's mm-hmm. clear he's had some times in these last seven years. Yeah, he he always he wants to live as a normal person. <laughs> and so all of this is all actually a capstone of a lot of character uh, side characters arcs. Of oh, yeah. Seeing these these illusions. Yep. And that brings us to the final episode. Yeah. Where Nia being erased by the anti-spiral, her ring starts glowing. She forces her hand there, points it at it, and Kurt in the lock and shoots out of it at that silhouette bastard. Simon announces their arrival. Everyone basically has a drill. That the- he shoots out two dozen drills, and everyone's standing in them like it's their own little yeah. drop pods. Yeah. And Simon uh, pulls- declares they're there to they're there to save everything. Yep, he pulls Nia in with him. Uh, the others join him. Gurren and- Logan forms. Our Gurren forms over it. So Logan. Super Galaxy Gurlog forms over it. Then all the drills combine with it, and yep. we pull out the space to a to a giant galactic battlefield, raising out of a spiral galaxy, like out of a new ocean, a huge mecha covered in faces, burning with spiral energy forms. Tegan Topa Gurlogon. <laughs> yep, he- it's like heaven breaking or something. He- heavenly breakthrough, specifically. So Tengen is the center of the Go board, and it represents heaven. Topa? Mm. Who's that? Uh, Topa means breakthrough. Yeah. So this is literally the Grand Lagan that breaks through the heavens. And everyone is, everyone is inside it. This is the entire brigade joined together. Yep. Yeah. So I'd like to, to mention that that idea of, you know, that, that quote happens. This is the drill that will pierce the heavens. It's repeated uh, throughout the line series. In this. It's repeated throughout the series. And I really like that idea. You know, at the, at the very beginning in the first episode, we get breaking through the ceiling of of the of the of the town that that yeah. they live in then the ceiling becomes uh essentially the sky itself yep. or in uh, more approximately then, the 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 oppression of the beast men yeah and then it becomes the the terror of space right and then finally it becomes basically like breaking through the breaking through heaven literally means like anti spiral is kind of like a god that's pr- oppressing all of you the universe mm-hmm I mean, the anti-spirals, we have learned, they were a spiral race that understood spiral nemesis, closed off their own potential, and then began their campaign of suppressing all others. And that's yeah. and that's why I believe uh, I said that at the very beginning that Gurren Lagan is a recursive anti-authoritarian fable because yeah. every single level of this rhymes because yeah. the anti-spirals are essentially a big bad Lord Gino. Yep. And we see over and over characters almost becoming a lord genome genome yeah. was genome was broken by the spiral nemesis as well it wasn't just he was defeated they showed him the visions of it the parallel works side materials show that and he was broken by that image and he turned out his own armies yep mm-hmm. and so that's it but now and only now the anti-spirals are surprised but not worried and so they create a 
mecha of that scale of their own that at, at its head has its entire race situated between its horns. Yeah. Like, like basically they're all together on almost like a tomb planet. Yeah. Uh, Lying like cordwood. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, they're, they're almost like, uh, like conscious corpses that can reach out and uh, affect the world. Well, we get the implication that the silhouette, the anti-spiral is somewhere between the leader and the avatar of the, of the race. Right. Yeah. And so what follows is a episode that is not only one of the most crazy mecha fights you will ever see in anime, like the absolute implications of these two robots throwing galaxies at each other is mind warping. In fact, there's something even bigger than that. These are supposed to be symbolic galaxies. They're actually even bigger than the scale implies, according to other materials. Right. Like <laughs> They're observable universe size is what we're supposed to believe. Yeah. <laughs> actually, this battle is even visible from Earth. Is the well, they rip universe. open a hole to it, and this, these yeah. two massive mechas fill the sky. Yeah. Like, it is completely off the top, top but it is also a dialectic discussion over whether humanity will destroy itself. And, like, that is the key thing about this episode that is so big to me is, like, while they're fighting, they are arguing over whether or not humanity is capable of protecting the universe. And the Anti-Spiral is fighting harder than anything it's ever fought before because it knows, no, spiral races will do this. This is what will happen. It, it, reaches, the, it reaches the edge of its power. It, it fuses galaxies together and creates a big bang to destroy yeah. them to the smallest scrap. Yep, and so the idea more or less here is that what Simon counters with is essentially the idea we have broken through every single ceiling, every barrier that you have put in front of us. That barrier that you stumbled at, we will not stumble at. We have the hope that we that we will overcome what you failed to. Yeah, and everyone joins in and countering this. You sit here in this closed-off universe like some sort of king. Fear. That's your limitation. No one but yours. And so in a sort of reprise of the scale down uh, fight that we had with Lord Genome earlier, after the Big Bang. Like it, the computer has formed an identity, taking the temporary body. Mm-hmm. It creates his Razagat, eats the Big Bang, turns into a to, big drill. Beats it to uh, Tenkantopa Grand Lagon. And then basically like we get two massive Giga Drills uh, piercing each other. Zamboa finally goes from just fighting. It starts forming drills to fight, which I always feel is it's losing the arguments. Yeah. So, it's- so yeah, that's true. So basically the anti-spiral are, have been resorted to using spiral energy in order to win. Yeah. Yeah. It scales down over and over again. As each mecha locks up, the other grown logins come out. Grand Zamboa shoots out more drills, capture them. The next one comes out. Yeah. But I think it's really cool that, that essentially Shimon flipped Lord Gino. Basically, the argument that that Shimon made the 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 sheer power of the spiral energy and the hope that it represents yeah. converted him, and now we have essentially a second Shimon, a guy on the on the scale of Shimon who is able to help us, and that yep. pushes the battle in their favor. Yep. At the very end, Vero grabs Lagan Ofger and throws at the anti spiral, and as it rips it apart with hand tendrils, the Lagan impact shoots right through it. Gosh, I actually am getting choked up about thinking about this because I like get really emotional about this ending. But like, so Simone pierces through the anti-spiral, and the anti-spiral just is like, "Okay, I've lost." So if this is how it will be. Then will you protect then protect the universe at all costs? Of course, humans aren't that stupid. <laughs> 
Which, um, okay, let's, I want to talk about, like, this ending is really controversial at the time, but, like, for me, like, I, I was not used to a series making, taking the, all the doomerism, all the fatalism uh, that surrounds so much of what it is to live in our world, and then having a series go, actually, no, look at everything humanity has done up until now. Don't you think that they'll be able to figure out a way through this? Yeah, I, it's, it's the antidote to doomerism. It's, it's yes. amazing. And it stands there saying no matter what happens, you can still find that path. Mm -hmm. The big controversial part of the ending is that because Nia was connected to the anti-spirals, she ends up fading away. She gets to hang around long enough to marry Simon, but then uh, vanishes. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like I wrote essays about this because I was in (laughs) college and like super moved by it. Beautiful thing is we don't get a sort of. Before that, we got a, a, like sort of a capper to the opening scenes in mm-hmm. which we find that they're, they, apparently their battle was broadcast everywhere. There are spiral races everywhere calling out to them. Yeah. All the stars are friends reaching out to us. So, so I kind of mentioned that that made me think of Earthbound a lot mm-hmm. and, and, and in a good way. And I, I actually kind of almost saw the uh, death spiral machine as – Almost, and you know, the anti spirals themselves as almost like a uh, gigas kind of, uh, and the and the yeah, uh, what what they call it, the the death machine, or or no, it's the devil's machine. Yeah, like the, I I get what you're saying. I think that might be why Earthbound. uh, I don't know about Jared, but I know both me and John were really affected by Earthbound when we first played it. I, as a kid, I hammered myself against that ending, not understanding how to do prey for so many fights. So <laughs> I oh, probably well. went through, I probably went through 10 losses more. In fact, one where I actually gave up on these vanished by the vanished into the darkness and tried fighting at normal there. That hurts. Mm. That one hurts. But like, I, I, like I was, I literally stumbled on it using prey desperately to hope to get some healing. It, mm. it blew my mind. When something <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> so, but yeah, like, so what the ending is arguing, I think, is that like one of the things that people like to say back in the day is, why doesn't Simon use spiral energy to save Nia? Well, how one of the, one of the other characters says, can't we use spiral energy to do that? It's like, yeah, that question no. is asked in the show. And Simon's just like, no, if we do that, we will. Where would it stop? Well, Simon's not God. The dead yeah. are dead. Thinking right. otherwise mm-hmm. is wrong. Yeah. Like, and they'll get in the way. It's that in progress, the right progress is to not get in the way of the next generation. Right. Mm. Like, yeah, like I, I think that that's the what you call it, part of the ethos of the spiral energy, I think, is that humans are able to evolve and change is because as sad as it is, old humans go away and the the next generation is able to build off of what the older humans have done. But, but like a, an important part of that, though, is that the older generation must pass on a a world to them and must teach them how to advance. Like, and that is what the answer spread to understand. They saw their limits and didn't think that maybe those who come after would go further. We get this little coda after the credits where 20 years later. Yeah. We see 20 years later, Roshu is now president of humanity and much better suited for it now. And looks way more like the uh, old priests. Like I said, yep. yep. Uh, we find out that humanity is finally ready to go out into the stars and meet the other spiral races Unaging Beryl running the uh, the super galaxy Gurren. Yeah, and they promise they will prevent the spiral of Nemesis from occurring. Like, that is now the ethos of humanity, is preservation of all life while going forward. All of their resources, essentially, are driven towards preventing the spiral Nemesis. And they, and they not sound trite to making friends in many ways. Yeah. Mm. The point is to bring, to, bring the, to bring the universe together. Then we switch to a kid 
on a beach trying to open up a coconut with a drill. Which seems like a terrible thing to use, but okay. It's it's Grand Lagan. Drills yeah. are drills. <laughs> and this kind of craggy faced older man shows up and gives him a little bit of advice. Yeah, tells him how to turn the drill more gently. And it works. The kid is able to get to the coconut and like he thanks the old man. Like it worked, of course. Like who the hell do you think I am? And the kid doesn't give a shit who he is. Well he does the kid doesn't even let him fish. He's already drinking out of the coconut. He's like, Oh, well, of course, <laughs> I'm nobody. Then the kid sees all the mecha flying off into space and he says, Look at all the Gren Lagans. <laughs> he's like and he's like, yeah, they're going to go meet our friends. All the lights in the sky are stars with friends waiting to meet us. And we see his face briefly. One of his eyes appears to turn permanently spiral, but... Yep, it is Simon. Mm-hmm. And so I love, love that inversion of the first act, that promise that we got at the beginning that all the lights in the sky are enemies. No. Because mm-hmm. that's that's the war of the spiral nemesis, if we imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the war that where, where struggle leads to leads to negative growth at all times, and eventually everything escalates in the lensman arms race beyond all reason. My my personal headcanon is that that's the alternate timeline wherein Simon does become the spiral nemesis. It, to me, it's just a wonderful way to close out the series on a much more positive note to just say, hey, think about what we're doing, but don't give up. And, and maybe life can be sad, but it's still life. I like the the relentless humanism yeah like honestly like my humanism as my like core belief system i am not ashamed to admit that a good part of it comes from gren lagan (laughs) (laughs) honestly like that idea sort of like carries over into how i view a lot of fiction and honestly i think it's at the core of what this entire uh series about kingdom hearts is about for us too (laughs) but yeah like i myself i'll say like by this point at this time of recording i've kind of in a rough place myself. I don't want to talk too much about personal stuff. But let's just say I'm, I'm facing my own losses and I still can feel positive for the hope from this. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to bring it down, but just a bad no, thing. It's say. good. It's good. No, nope. Matt, what about you? So the reason we like this media that we talk about is because it touches us and it, it affects us and it talks about real things, you know? Nope. So, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to talk about how how these shows have affected us. Yeah. And so yeah, I think uh, I think we probably will return to Promare, which is made by the same studio and the same writers. Well, yeah, same studio, same writer, studio. or same writer. Yeah. And if we wanted to go even crazier, there was even a follow-up movie, like a, a recap with enhanced elements. But we've been going forever so far. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is going to be an extremely long mini log. I. It, I don't want to keep your time anymore. What's next, guys? What are we going on to next week? Well, John, looks like next. Looks like we're going into Kingdom Hearts Recoded. Wait, what? Uh, well, we got no. coded next, and you know. No, 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 uh, no. Look, look. We, we don't have to okay. play a game. We just watch I, the movie. Okay, so listen. So seriously, like, we can't do coded. What can, what else, like, how are we going to do it? Like, look. It's not like we get someone else to do it. Do you want to do coded? Do you want to do coded? Well, until next time, I'm Matt. No, we Don't can't. answer the question, we Matt. We have to figure out do this. We have to figure out how we're going to do this. Like, like, you're right. We can't just skip it, but I don't want to do coded. Why don't, why don't we just uh, make some, you know, data versions of ourselves and make them do it? That literally makes no sense, Matt. I think he's onto something. I don't know. I never, you know I'm no good at programming, John. I mean, do well, we have well, to find somebody we, else to work with? You can figure something out. You can figure something out. Like, uh, well, think. let me think about it. All right. So, it's like a cheat, though. All right. <laughs> anyway, well, 
Until next time, I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Jared. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlogdialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release. episode was recorded in two sections so in this bit you're going to get our nonsense from both uh during the recording before the spoiler section and recording after including uh both me saying i need to go see bullet train as well as me having seen bullet train have fun seen any trailers for it. It's Brad Pitt. It's clearly doing a collision of a bunch of assassins and thieves on a train heist, but apparently it's shockingly anime. I mean, okay, what is one of my favorite animes from 2007 that is not the anime that we're talking about this week on Backlog Dialogues? Uh, I mean, Speed Racer? That's not an anime. That is a movie, and that was in 2008. What was one of my favorite animes from 2007? Bacano. Rob actually invoked Bacchano, by the way. Yeah. I'm like, they did a Bacchano train arc movie? Oh, yeah. When I saw, when I saw Bullet Train's advertising, I said, they did that? They did that? Proof that Shit. it's your jam. What, the, what in the soundtrack is Japanese cover of Holding Out for a Hero. I need to see this movie. This sounds amazing. And Rob even invoked it as, like, it's almost turned into a crazy anime fight sequence of something Agatha Christie. I remember. I remember seeing the the title for it, and it had Japanese behind it. That it was yeah. it was Bullet Train is in Dongan uh, Train yes. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the original trailer, the opening scene is is having a tense action scene between Brad Pitt and the one and the one guy the, the one guy who was the uh, the tinker of the Eternals, and they're having a fight in a in a quiet car, so they can't raise their voices. I need to see this movie. Oh, this yeah. sounds unbelievably like my jam. I was anyway. I didn't I, I I only didn't go with him because I was feeling sick yesterday, so I stayed home and I I definitely probably see it, but yeah, just with the description, this definitely sounds your jam, John. I was just editing episode eleven of Kingdom Hearts two, which was the second part of the Disney World speed run, and mm. in it we were talking we were right at the start of the section where we were talking about going back into Tron, and Jared makes the assertion that Aerith is the smartest Final Fantasy character because she can she knows how to use a computer. I don't have any particular problems with the claim that Aerith is the smartest Final Fantasy character. I think I can probably come up with some better examples, but that's not what I wanted to relitigate here. I mean, most of remakes suggest that's so as far as I got, but okay. So, um, what I want to ask is, how smart do you actually have to be to use a computer? I mean, we could ask Sora. Sora is not a Final Fantasy character, first of all, but... <laughs> no, how smart do you have to be to use a computer? In Final Fantasy? In general. Well, it depends on your on your user level. Yeah, it depends on the time as well. Like, for example, when, when we were kids, I, I think it took a lot more gumption and effort on 
the user's part to own your own computer and use it. My family had a Commodore, then got a PC relatively early. I was kind of lucky with that. In 2005, how smart did you have to be to use a computer? Not that smart. I mean, I'm getting people even now call me at work who don't know the difference between a website and an email, and that distresses me. So there we go. I do. I strongly disagree with your argument that because Aerith can use computer, she is the smartest Final Fantasy character. And I would like you to submit new arguments. I mean, I would argue even if it doesn't make a high bar, everyone else fails to clear that bar. So I would say that that Final Fantasy VII is not 2005 computer level. I would say that it is more 1991 computer level. Yeah, I mean. It's hard to say. You get some really crazy concepts pull up out of nowhere in it. Also, I just want to say, like, isn't it super self-serving of a video game to make the assertion that someone is smart because they can use a computer? That's just like the creators just going like, look at me, I'm so smart, I'm making video game. Are you trying to make, like, a version of the Knox Laws for for RPG technology level? No, no, I'm not I mean, trying I to do that. I don't going with, but that sounds like a fun... I don't think that's where he's going with, but that does kind of sound like a fun activity at some points. I do. Yeah, it, the reason uh, I, like, I ask is because the the reason... It sounds like you're going for the, this is a bad thing because no. if you did it, the plot would suck. No, nah, he's no, just no, saying that, he's I just, just saying that it's a weird thing for me to have said to some degree. Yes. I, I The specific assertion I am making is it is weird to claim that you need to... that being able to use a computer makes you smart considering the absolute nonces that can use computers that are on Twitter. Yes, that is true. You are correct. I mean, Arif, Arif would choose not to be on Twitter. She's, she's got better time than that. Exactly. Yep, she is she smart is enough to not use Twitter. Time. There we go. There we go. There we go. That I will accept as a proof that she is smart. Website, it appears the only solution is not to post. <laughs> I don't even think I've seen that movie through it. I know the gag. How are there not any train gunmen in that? I think it's so I mean, easy to add a train set piece of its own. What? Okay. Trains do not have legs, Jared. Yep. Uh, hold on a second. Are you hearing any background noise right now through my phone or microphone? I'm not hearing any. Okay, cool. I'm hearing some airplanes right now. I think Seafair might still be going on. It's kind of annoying. Anyway, uh, yeah, back to talking about this. That's another plane. Oh. Yep, we hear it. It's out that side. So I went and saw a bullet train yesterday as I was talking with Jared about, oh, yeah, uh, you may it. remember last time that was the uh, movie that was 10 minutes in, he realized was totally a me movie and he was absolutely right. It was 100, 150% a me movie. It was yeah. amazing. I'll have to go watch single, it this week. It wasn't even a single event. It just so perfectly was that right type of, I've heard this, my, my brother actually described it as Bacano meets of, um, uh, the murder on the Orient Express in some ways because of the, yeah. That's really that's a really good description. Um, with, with with all the anime fight scenes you can watch. <laughs> yep. Like it is 
yet another instance of a good live action anime, even though there right. isn't actually a anime adaptation of it yet. There could be. It is a Japanese novel. Apparently by a pretty darn respected author was what I was looking up to what you were talking about yesterday. Mm-hmm. Only a few of his works are in English, but Yeah, I'm gonna have to read them all because I'm already kinda of like taken. The guy who did Deadpool 2, apparently John Wick, and just very much has the action economy, also has the ability well, to okay. absolutely tie together everything. So I like it way more than John, than John Wick or Deadpool 2, just for one reason. It is written like an Edgar Wright movie. Yeah, it, it's got Wright's insane super cutting and also the ability to pull back from the start of, all the way to the start of the movie for surprise re resets it isn't quite no, it's not quite as well, symmetrical in dialogue as a right movie but well I, no it is very symmetrical um like it it is extremely good about setting up it it's uh Chekhov's guns and then giving you the appropriate payoff for them like it like i watched the entire movie i was just like i can't believe this isn't an edgar wright movie <laughs> i mean you're certainly right especially with that one last flashback you know what i mean that is just yes. so right yeah, like, that one scene, I was just like, holy shit, my, my brain is fucking blown by this movie. Like, I've heard a lot of bad things about The Eternals, but I also know that so, it's also one of the weirdest things in that set of yes. properties. So I'm wondering if you guys like Eternals mm. and it's just like oh. uh, flying above most audiences or if it's, it's actually it's, bad. Above isn't it's the fly- right word. It is the most Final Fantasy-esque a Marvel movie has been. Is the best way yeah, I'm like, putting it. In a way like, that Raya the Last Dragon is the most anime slash FFO Disney movie. This is the most... Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's super weird, super plot and lore and just this very esoteric um, it, it is, strange story. Yeah, it is written with the expectation that you will not try to solve it, that you will just like go with what emotions it's trying to throw at you. And which honestly, is a it's very not Final like it's, fantasy un- thing. It's, not, it's not really unsolvable either. It's pretty simple to understand what goes where. And if, it, if they didn't force in a couple of specific connections, it wouldn't even have to be a Marvel movie except for the uh, like, Honestly, so here's the thing. The reason people say Eternals is bad is people have been waiting for a movie that everyone can be like, this is a bad Marvel movie, right? Because we really want to shit on Marvel because Marvel's the popular thing. Mm. That's it. That's the only reason people are like trying to make that a thing. Kind of like how some people are attacking a new Thor movie in a similar yes, match. Exactly. The new Thor movie is way better than Eternals, but... Yeah. Well, uh, Eternals like, is wonderfully weird. Thor is just Taika Waititi being awesome. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I love Eternals. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder is my favorite of the Phase 4 movies so far. I mean, sometimes a drill is just a drill, right? Yeah. I just no, it has, the it has, title, it, if it wasn't. Hey, it has two smaller protrusions under it, so. <laughs> I don't even think we can do Promare, guys. We've been going for three hours yeah. or more. Of- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too much. Things. We'll have to split Ooh. this up into a, like, no, a, well, we a multi-game. We may not we'll, even. We'll save, we'll save Promare for some other time. Yeah. Yep.
was too long. <laughs> it was I long. Don't know how